Hello, everybody, and welcome to the 273rd episode of MTG Fast Finance, the podcast that spent longer trying to come up with an intro this week than Wizards did designing those sketch frames. MTG Fast Finance is your weekly podcast covering the world of Magic the Gathering finance, collection management, and speculation. I'm your host, James Chilcott, a.k.a. at MTG Critic on Twitter. My co-host this week, as always, is Travis Allen at Wizard Bumpin on Twitter, and we're here to help you folks make and save money playing our favorite game, Magic the Gathering. Good evening, everyone. Glad to be here. Looking forward to sharing some valuable information with all of you. Our show is produced by mtgprice.com, the leading MTG finance community. Sign up today at mtgprice.com to track your specs, chat on Discord, read articles by some of the best financial minds in the hobby. And this week, Modern Horizons 2 spoilers, so I'm indulging. <laughs> with a can, Fair enough. With a can of Hetty Topper. Uh, beer aficionados will recognize that name as possibly uh, he- f- contends for the title of best beer in America. Ooh, yeah. I'm not that fancy, but I do have a ten-year rum with uh, Canadian exclusive Coke. Mm. I had the real sugar. I want everyone to know that I once did James a favor and brought him a bottle of KBS back before KBS was available every all the time. And he proceeded to leave it on the table at the restaurant, and the wait staff drank it. Uh, so <laughs> that's true. I'd forgotten all about that. I remember that. That sucks. <laughs> um, that was also the night that Corbin was out having at a Brazilian steakhouse with us, and was complaining because they didn't bring him enough piles, big enough piles of meat per serving. Yeah, well, they did like three trips, and then you and I slowed down, and Corbin just like kept flipping his thing back over for more meat, and he's like, they do this every time. He's like, I want seven servings, and we're lucky he's still alive today. He, he's a big dude. He needs he needs more protein calories than we do. Mm-hmm. The uh, MTG Fast Finance is proudly sponsored by Cool Stuff, Inc., where you can find all sorts of cool, nerdy stuff in stock, including all the best in Magic the Gathering single sealed product and a plethora of other collectibles. Use the promo code FINANCE5 during checkout at CoolStuffInc.com to save 5% off your order and support this podcast. Travis, 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 it is an exciting week in Magic because it's been so long since we were in a preview season. I think it's been a whole four weeks or something. And here we are, smack dab in the middle of Modern Horizons 2 reveals, and Wizards is getting real cheeky with this set. They, they are. Uh, Strixhaven's Dead Long Live Modern Horizons 2. That that set just... Remember when that was a set that, that was out there? <laughs> and right before that, Time Spiral Remastered? Yeah, I mean, at least Time Spiral Remastered, I felt like we had a little bit of room to like remember those cards existed before Strixhaven. But like two we- it feels like two weeks ago we talked we were talking about strixhaven coming out and now it's just it's gone into the aether uh, i i have a full case worth of russian time spiral that i'm sorting on my coffee table right now and i have very little time before <laughs> it needs to be properly sorted and put away uh before the modern horizons 2 stuff's gonna show up so gotta get a move on this has got to be like whiplash for the guys for sorting cards for you know big stores four or five years ago they'd crack a set and then you know they didn't have to do anything for another three months like they don't have to do that again and now it's like we got to make sure we get it off the tables and onto the shelves before the next batch and just the amount of 
problematic product formulation that's being shoved down their throats is just completely uh, ridiculous. Another whole story. All, all the variants and the the set numbers and the mixing of artwork and concepts from the same plane but different products vis-a-vis Strixhaven and Commander 21 and so on and so forth and oh boy it's gonna be tough for those guys all right well girls let's uh and others and everyone and let's do our segments this week unlike wizards you know what you're getting with us every time Top, segment one, our top MTGO metagame we can review. We've got some modern legacy again. I guess all right. This week I'll give you legacy because we're going to be talking about modern in two weeks or however long it is till the set comes out. I don't even know. Segment two, our top paper movers with our top MTGO movers to boot. Segment three, our cards to watch. Uh, we've got a, a good chunk this week. I actually have several to talk about. I'm sure you're going to complain about them, and that's some of them, and that's fine. Uh, and finally, segment four, our topic of the week, uh, a lot of Modern Horizons 2 stuff to discuss. Um, not only do we have a boatload of spoilers, there's also some clarification maybe on the slot openings, uh, you know, what shows up in slots. We'll see what we touch on when we get there. But let's start out at the top here, our Modern League, a series of five O's. We've got some Bant Control, Death and Taxes. You've got this labeled Creative Titan. That's a, I just made I just a, made that up. A creative type title for a creative deck, I suppose. Just made it on up because no one's allowed to name decks anymore. There's no coverage of note, so we get to call decks whatever we want. That's what I say. Uh, sure. I can't argue with that. That's an indomitable creativity deck. X triple red from Kaladesh. Destroy X artifacts and creatures. For each permanent destroyed this way, the controller reveals cards from their top of their library until they flip an artifact or creature and put it into play. So this deck is going to try and put, uh, I see a bunch of rampant growth type effects. And oh, it's got some Transmagrify in there too. And what is it using? Dwarven Mine? Dwarven Mine. Yeah, so you play Dwarven Mine out, which creates a token. You indomitable creativity that which will flip into the only actual creature in the deck which is primeval titan get you some valakut action so this is interesting right because we've seen the transmogrify uh dwarven mine indomitable creativity package in top eights earlier this uh year but they were going to get agent of treachery if i remember correctly it was definitely not Primeval Titan. Typically, if you're going to go through the work to play Transmogrify or some effect of that nature, you were shooting for something big. I mean, Crystal Brand, you know, that type of thing. Um, or Emrakul, but not Primeval Titan. He's, uh, he's a change of pace. Look at the sideboard, too. There are four Demigod of Revenge in the board. Mm. That's a 5-4 Flying Haste. When you cast it, return all cards with the same name from your graveyard to the battlefield. And it costs uh, Rakdos times five. So any combination of five black and red mana to get that into into play. I uh, love me some Demigod or Revenge. I tried so hard to get that to work in. I think even before Modern, when I think it was extended back then, I tried to get Demigod or Revenge to work. That was a fun card for sure. Cause, and you would play that. That was back when there was... Um, there was some control elements in modern back then, and you would play Demigod was my tech to beat them because they could counter it, but it didn't matter because when you cast it, you would get all the previous ones back. So eventually they were going to die to it. 
I guess you you put these in instead of the Titans against removal heavy decks. I I suppose so. It's, truth be told, I'm not clear why you'd bring it in here. Well, I guess I guess the deal is that these transmogrify cast. No, you don't get the cast triggers. Uh, if you cheat into it, no. I guess if you ch- if you end up with one and it gets destroyed, and then you later cast another one, you get all the previous Both. versions back. Mm-hmm. But I don't I don't know what the you know where you would be why this would be useful all of a sudden i don't understand that yeah need some more information there's also three madcap experiment in the board to get real serious and they also have platinum imperion which is the 8-8 your life total can't change um which we have seen alongside transmogrify and, and indomitable and dwarven mine in the previous iterations mm-hmm. so there's a bant control uh deck that went 5-0 and in, in just in case we didn't say this off the top, we're looking at the Modern League 5-0s, which of course are heavily edited by Wizards. They're deliberately picking out interesting things. So oh, we're I... looking at interesting things because there wasn't modern challenges and legacy challenges over the weekend that we can make use of. There was just preliminaries, and that's only 4-0s versus the 5-0s you need in the league. So figured look at the league. Truth, truth um, be told, I forgot they do that. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we've got... There's the Death, Death and Taxes build was running four Elite Spellbinder and two on Thin Ice. And then there's a Band Control build that was nine Planeswalkers. I think it was a combination of Teferi's and Jace, the Mind Sculptor, probably. Four Ice Fang and four on Thin Ice there as well. So on Thin Ice showing up in a bunch of places as the kill spell of choice instead of Path to Exile. Yeah. Um, I'm wondering what what prompted that i don't know off the top of my head why they would make that switch maybe it's because the aggro decks that are running around are light on lands you don't want to get them give them any extra yeah it's hard yeah i, I would imagine if thin ice is seeing play suddenly overpath the exile it's probably due to a meta concern it's just hard to say for sure without being in the thick of it definitely worth keeping an eye on because if on Thin Ice is not one of the rares that is reprinted as an Old Border Foil or a Old Border Foil uh, etched. Sorry, Foil etched or Old Border Foil, to clarify. Uh, this is never going to be any easier with this set. The On Thin Ice Foils could certainly see some movement if they keep showing up as the white kill spell of choice over Path. Yeah, I mean, I don't think that's going to happen, but it does seem like it will certainly at least have a place to be used, some purpose, for some reason for existence. There's also an Urza's Invention deck here, two Urza, four Whir of Invention, and an Artifact Toolbox that is 23 Artifacts strong. They're running Codex Shredder, Ensnaring Bridge, Grafdigger's Cage, Four Lantern of Insight, two Pithing Needle, Two Pixis of Pandemonium, a Sword of the Meek, two Talisman of Curiosity, one of Dominance, a Thopter Foundry, Torpor Orb, and Witchbane Orb in the main. Yeah, the Witchbane Orb main is uh, is pretty amusing. No Karn the Great Creator here, which is a little surprising. You'd expect some of that action, but I guess they uh, didn't feel the need for it here. They also can lead off on Ancient Stirrings, which probably makes people think they're playing against Green Tron, and then they yeah. whip out an Urza on turn four. They also have, you'll love this one, two Bark Channel Pathway in their 19 land base. Just two, not four. Sure. I mean, if you're only playing 19 lands, then got to make cuts somewhere. 
So, but look at the... <laughs> they have four Ancient Stirrings, two Collective Brutality, two Inquisition of Kozilek, and, and two Thoughtseize. So they have six black spells they want to cast on turn one and a black-green spell they want to cast on turn two. Sure. It's Legacy Baby. Or it's Modern Baby. <laughs> it's, it's Extended Magic Baby. There's a Rug Renin 6 uh, As Foretold deck here where they have three Renin 6, two Brazen Borer, four Greater Gargadon, three Ancestral Vision, four Crashing Footfalls, four Restore Balance, four Serum Visions, four Electro Dominance, three Force of Negation, three Lightning Bolt, four Opt, and four As Foretold. Makes me wonder whether this is somebody trying to gear up for the new Suspend spells out of Modern Horizons 2, wondering if they can do some extra fancy stuff with... Uh, free demonic tutors off as we're told well yeah we get we're getting that new cycle right of uh like five more free spells and we know at the very least of the demonic tutor so you can for instance drop as told demonic tutor for free immediately um, and get something maybe an instant that you're going to play on your opponent's turn because it's once per turn not once per turn cycle um, or set up for your turn the the next turn it seems like it could bring some interesting stuff for next time today um, i don't know not maybe this is just a guy playing the deck and it did well there's a blue red storm deck in the mix here four ideas unbound that's a pet card of mine from way back to blue mana sorcery speed draw three discard your hand at the end of turn and then four wishclaw talisman with a past and flame storm base anyone that's uh can call themselves a brewer for moderns Modern Glory Days really is well familiar with Ideas Unbound. Skipping on over to the Legacy League 5-0s of note. First thing that caught my attention was this green-white lands build uh, that runs for Cosmic Intervention, which is notable because it comes uh, can only be found in the Kaldheim uh, Commander decks. And this is a Fortell card, three and a white instant, foretell for one and a white if a permanent you control would be put into a graveyard from the battlefield this turn exile it instead return it to the battlefield under its owner's control at the beginning of the next end step so basically what they're looking to do here is dump a whole bunch of lands into the graveyard for benefit getting other lands off things like crop rotation uh, or knight of the reliquary etc elvish reclaimer and then get them all back into play off the cosmic intervention Right, this lets you get some some real fun turn cycles with Fetchlands and Knight of the Reliquary. Uh, I mean, a, a touch surprising to see it make the inclusion here, um, but you know if you're able to set this up, it's really going to pay you off with some excellent value that's going to be real hard for opponents to overcome on a longer term game. They also have a much larger land toolbox than you'd normally see. They have 40 lands because it's an 80 card deck because they're running Yorion in the sideboard. Mm-hmm. Sure, just Yorion, whatever. Anything you want, guys. Whatever. If you, if you want to play Yorion, just do it. We've also got uh, further appearances of the Arclight Phoenix Chain of Smog combo decks. Uh, this is four Arclight Phoenix, uh, four Abundant Harvest, two Chain of Smog, three Witherbloom Apprentice, and two Sedgemore Witch. And keep in mind that Abundant Harvest is a card you really want to be keeping your eye on because it is a pre-printed card from Modern Horizons 2. It was listed as a rare in the uh, Mystical Archives. I'm unclear on whether it's a rare in Modern Horizons 2 or not, uh, but if it's a common, it 
or Uncomet probably doesn't get a premium treatment there. And the mystical foil, mystical archive foils will have be additionally justified to be uh, spec calls. I think it was at five or six bucks that Oko flagged them a couple weeks ago. Yeah, the um, I I know that it's at rare in the the mystical archives, but I really have trouble believing that this is anything other than a common or an uncommon um, in Modern Horizons two. It just it wouldn't really make much sense for this to be a rare, right? Like that's just a real basic ramp utility spell so this deck has showed up pretty consistently lately uh, definitely worth keeping your eye on if you're trying to unload fancy chain of smog foils um, and so forth the there was a bug list here where they just decided that three casting costs was the magic number four hull reacher four opposition agent both out of commander legends three uro four collected company alongside, uh, was it four Green Sun Zenith and four Force of Wills, the other instants and sorceries? Yeah, this is uh, this is a guy who bought a bunch of magic cards recently and decided, you know, in the last two years and decided he wanted to play with them in Legacy and just shoved Hall Breachers and Opposition Agents and Uros and Leovolds all in the deck. And he's like, yeah, these are all good. I'm just going to play this in Legacy. And it worked. More power to you, man. I'm curious how consistent this this deck is with this many three drops because they have 15 total in the main and the only acceleration is Noble Hierarch and the Green Sun Zenith into Dryad Arbor or Hierarch. Yeah. I, I suppose Uro also qualifies, but you got to get to three to cast Uro. Right, you already have to be on three. It does seem like it might be kind of a quiet deck before you hit three mana and in a format like Legacy, that sounds not like the greatest idea, but maybe it works. There's also a whole bunch of creatures in here you can't pitch to force at will. Because <laughs> you have the opposition agents, plague engineers, the hull breachers, and the baleful strix, none of which share green. Does feel like a uh, relatively greedy list overall, but uh, what's legacy if not greedy? Death and Taxes with three elite spellbinders. So we saw that both in modern the modern league prominently and the legacy league. Uh, in this particular D&T build, two Rick Steadfast Leader, which was the secret layer photo reel character out of The Walking Dead that everybody complained would be jarring in Legacy, and indeed here it is. They also complained that it being only in a secret layer, if it was super good in Legacy, it would become too expensive and everybody would be upset. Now, considering that Legacy decks are generally too grand, uh, I didn't really buy into that argument at the time and still don't. It's a, it's a, I mean, I appreciate the sentiment of the concern, even though I don't think uh, realistically Rick will be too expensive. I just hate the idea of it. I also just dis- dislike these cards. I'm not a Walking Dead fan. I don't like anything about this at all, basically. <laughs> so a single inch of it. the player that had Bolas in his name was not the one that was uh, running the craziest uh, configuration with a Nickel Bolas in it. That would be uh, Zio Francone, who went 5-0 with a list that started with two Jace the Mind Sculptor and one Nicol Bolas Dragon God in Legacy. So if you thought it was hard to cast three drops, how do you feel about blue, triple, black, red in Legacy for a four-loyalty Planeswalker that has all loyalty abilities of other Planeswalkers on the battlefield? Which is cute, of course, if they drop some other Planeswalker against you. Plus one is you draw a card, each opponent exiles a card from their hand or permanent they control. 
Minus three is destroy target creature or planeswalker, and the minus eight is each opponent who doesn't control a legendary creature or planeswalker loses the game. And then the rest, you have a comment? Uh, I'm only okay with it so long as the deck plays Blood Moon. <laughs> yeah. Their creature base was four Baleful Strix, one Brazen Borrower, one Hullbreacher, one Plague Engineer, two Snapcaster Mage. Sorceries, three Him to Torak, four Ponder, and two Thoughtseize. And then on the instant side of things, four Brainstorm, a Cling to Dust, two Fatal Push, a Force of Negation, four Force of Will, three Culligans Command, three Lightning Bolt, and of course the aforementioned Blood Moon. Get in there, buddy. <laughs> uh, the, so, like, what is it? Only half of this guy's lands. Or you need this guy needs half of his lands in play in order to cast a Nicol Bolas. That's that's something special. I appreciate that. I appreciate what he's doing here. All right, so moving on over to segment two, top paper movers of the week. We'll kick off with the Soul Ring from the Secret Lair, uh, going from twenty to twenty-eight. I think this is the Black is Magic Secret Lair, uh, which is looking really good because I think the non-foil versions of those were thirty-nine ninety-nine. The foil versions were forty-nine ninety-nine, and if the Soul Ring is going to make anywhere from twenty to thirty dollars of the value up. Given that you get seven other cards, and those cards are pretty solid in their own right, um, because if I'm not mistaken, there is a five mana Teferi in there with really good art. There is a uh, Ponder. There is uh, a Kaya Ghost Assassin, a Cultivate, a Path of Ancestry, and a Shalai, Voice of Plenty. And, uh, as the surprise include, there were stained glass planeswalkers of color from War of the Spark that are also available. So you can get a three mana Teferi alongside your five mana Teferi, and those stained glass Teferis go for about 20 to $32, I think, depending on where you're buying them. Mm-hmm. And you can still get, you can get Vivians and Kaya Ghost Assassins too, but even if you only get the Teferi 40% of the time, that's still a nice EV boost to what is already a very reasonable, reasonably priced-looking set. I suspect that people are going to double or triple their money on these with any amount of hold time. Yeah, this uh, definitely seems to work out well for people, and that's without any significant gains, just a nice double or triple up on these over um, a reasonable period of time. So good, good. it's nice to see that, that working out well for people who bought this. I mean, secret layers are looking like they, are, they hit more often than they miss, which is a pretty good place to be. Um, Soul Ring, of course, is a card that pre- card that you're going to get premium versions of like every year, uh, sometimes multiple times per year. But this is a fairly unique version, and it is the most played card in the most played format. So you don't really need to be worried uh, about whether it competes with other versions. Yeah, I mean, Soul Ring will be the card to test. Is there a point at which too many ver- too many premium versions are too many? Essentially. Uh... You know, we talked about that before. We don't know for sure, um, you know, where that line is. Presumably it does exist. But we don't seem to be there yet. At least not, you know, looking at this black as magic, this soul ring doing pretty good. Next on the list, we have Bastion of Remembrance, an uncommon enchantment for two and a black, bless you. Um, out of Ikoria, going for 250 to $4. Not a huge gain that's you know going to make anybody any significant money, but certainly flags that you want to be pulling these out of your Ikoria bulk because CK Buy List is already at $1.60 uh, cash, $2 credit, 
which is real good for a recent, uh, recently printed uncommon that doesn't really see any constructed play, solid in EDH, um, good casual card, cube card, and the like. Uh, and certainly a card that's a pet card of mine because I think the, the crappy grinder deck that I threw together on Magic Arena when I need to build up some gold is basically just black-white life drain, and I run four of these and a bunch of token producers. Cats and ovens and nonsense that just bounce things in and out of the graveyard, Lurus, etc. And this thing's done a lot of work and won me some games. Plenty of tokens to keep you busy there. Plenty, of tr- I'm sorry, plenty of triggers to keep you busy is what I meant to say. Um, yeah, uh, we will talk more about recent uncommons <laughs> a little further down the episode. Uh, Crark's thumb out of Mirrodin foils 80 to 140, 150, sure, whatever you can get people to pay for it. We have Yersi Fortune's Flame, which is a new coin flip commander out of uh, Modern Horizons 2, which definitely pushed several coin flip styled cards recently. Um, I guess if we're here, I might as well mention those. There was all, it was a uh, Frenetic Afri is the other card. Uh, reserve list out of mirrored in 8 to 45. Uh, I don't know if you're going to get that, but you'll probably do okay. Um, who's an Efri who involves coin flip. So he, uh, he, both of these doing pretty well on the reveal of uh, Ears 3. Yeah, Frenetic Afri at a Mirage, right? And Kirk's them at a Mirrodin. Yes. Yeah. Oh, yeah, we have Mir- MIR for both of them. One of them's wrong. Yeah. Uh, Swarm Yard out of Time Spiral, the original foil copies going from low 40s to mid 70s on the back of all the squirrels nonsense that's been revealed from uh, Modern Horizons 2. And it certainly helps that the squirrel commander they've revealed is a pretty good one. Uh, pretty combo-tastic. Lots of angles with this commander. Of course, we're talking about Chatterfang Squirrel General. Two and a green for a 3-3. Legendary Creature Squirrel Warrior. Forest Walk. That's not a uh, keyword you see on cards very often anymore. If one or more tokens would be created under your control, those tokens plus that many 1-1 green squirrel creature tokens are created instead. So if you put four treasures in play for whatever reason, you get four squirrels as well. And then for a black, you can sacrifice X squirrels. Target creature gets plus X minus X until end of turn. So you get to fool around in green and black, which is the home of the graveyard and also has plenty of ways to put tokens into play. And looks like Chatterfang's probably going to be pretty popular. Yeah, I will have some more things to say about Chatterfang in a different part of the episode, but I'm not going to tell you which part. You just have to wait and find out. Acorn Harvest at a Torment, same kind of thing. Chatterfang card foils going from 11 to 20. Then we have Kiora the Crashing Wave at a Born of the Gods, foils from 12 to 22. Uh, no reprint. Single printing five, six years ago. Uh, there's spawning Kraken at a Commander 21 that could be driving this. There's that new, uh, that other Kraken that was played in Legacy recently as a four of that costs 10, I want to say. Some number. And has Delve. Forget what the card is exactly off the top of my head. but I think the Delve one's different, isn't it? I thought it was. Because... Mm. See if I can track that down. Go ahead and move us on to the next thing. I'll bounce us back. Uh, that would be Urborg to Yogmoth, the foils out of Planar Chaos, so the original printing, 110 to 220, about a double up. Um, 
based on Cabal Coffers seeing its first reprint since Torment in Modern Horizons 2, I you know, I find that anyone who was going to buy a foil herb board before probably isn't more likely to do so now that Cabal Coffers has been reprinted. But we are talking about the Planar Chaos foils, which uh, there's not a lot of copies of those floating around. Not a lot of players comparatively in Magic back then as there are today. So that's definitely part of it. Um, but, you know, this has seen several printings recently. There's a good amount of supply out there. So you'll pay a premium for the original here, but you are by no means locked into paying $200 if you want a foil copy of your Urborg. Yeah, I mean, the Cabal Coffers reprint really puts a pin in the hottest versions of the card, but it does have multiple reprints that have pretty deep inventory between the M15 Ultimate Masters and Time Saw Remastered, which was just a couple months ago, um, copies lying around. I did open a foil Russian Urborg in my Russian Time Spiral box that'll probably fetch a pretty penny. I would guess I can get $80 plus for that somewhere, um, especially now that Cabal is uh, back on the table. But uh, yeah, non-foil copies are going to take some time to appreciate given how many are sitting around. Yeah, not, uh, not in a rush to try and sell through those. Uh, Legion of the Hollows, a reserveless creature from Mirage, to four mana three four that when it dies players can pay any amount of mana and then they get a squirrel token for each mana they paid so clearly people are buying this for chatterfang uh i don't actually think the card's good it doesn't really do what you want it like i mean it's fine in that deck but it's certainly there are better selections especially for the price so you would play this on a Vorthos angle, but not because it's actually good in the deck. But a lot of people build stuff like this because they like the flavor, not because it's good. So I don't think you'll sell a terribly large amount of copies of this, uh, but they will move because people will play it. Uh, it was 18 to 42. I guess I'm supposed to mention that part too, uh, but it's a reserveless card, you know? So the price is whatever the cheapest copy is on TCG player. Yeah, fair enough. The Silvos Rogue Elemental holding down the line for the Old Border Foils that have been spiking constantly this year. This one going from 10 to 36. It's an Old Border Foil Rare from Onslaught. Not a particularly iconic card, but uh, hasn't stopped a lot of the rest of them from accelerating. Yeah, I always really liked the art on Silvos. One of my favorites. I think, uh, having thought about it, I wonder if that's just because it's very comic booky in his posture. Uh Madrite Stone out of Dissension, the foils 9 to like 38. This is certainly because of Ozgear. Madrite Stone allows you to untap a creature with a tap ability. So it gives you some extra activations with Ozgear. It did get a reprint in the Mystery Booster retail foil packages. So there are more foils of this floating around. And admittedly, those are probably actually better than the Dissension ones. Uh, in terms of pure cosmetic appearance, but this is the original foil, so it will hold a bit of a premium, even though the the liquidity will be quite low. Um, also, so. also worth noting that the Majorite uh, Stone foils from the Mystery Booster retail editions are not particularly deep in terms of inventory and TCG, and they have a pretty solid ramp looking like a double up within the year. And the other notable point there is that although they have announced that mystery booster boxes are being distributed to vendors, at least in North America, I'm not sure if it's global, this summer as part of their kind of vendor support program, those boxes are supposedly the convention editions that have the playtest cards, not 
the retail edition foils. So Majorite Stone should be safe for the rest of the year. Right, right. Um, so my, I don't know, maybe it's a pickup for the retail booster foil. I'd have to do a little more digging. I don't know if I'm super in love with that, but it might work. I figured out what the uh, recent Commander 21 card was I was thinking of that might be related to Kiora, but I, there's no good connection. It's Octavia Living Thesis. Eight double blue, eight eight. This spell costs eight less to cast if you have eight or more instant or sorcery cards in your graveyard, which is why I thought it had delve. It has mm. ward eight and then magecraft, and whenever you cast or copy an instant or sorcery spell, target creature has base power and toughness eight eight until end of turn. So I guess if you're doing a Krakens and Octopuses theme deck or something in EDH, they would both find a home together if there was green involved, but otherwise I got nothing on Cura. Hmm. Okay. Good to know, I suppose. Uh, Dakon Blackblade finishes off the top paper movies. This is the white-bordered Chronicles edition, which I guarantee you has been rotting in bulk for most of the bulk guys for a good part of 25 years. Um, going supposedly from $2 to 18 on the back of the character just randomly appearing in Modern Horizons 2. Uh, I'm not buying it. Get out of those if you got them. Seems like a perfect bulk exit play into a very short-lived hype cycle. Yeah, I really got to find these because I'm sure I have some floating around and see if I can ditch them. This feels, um, this feels like a card that we have both thrown out at some point. Yo, yeah, yeah, I have absolutely put this in the trash. Uh, yeah, I mean, people, you know, people will pay some wild prices for these. Some of these old res- res- revised era cards that, you know, kind of unimaginable to me on some days, you know, because of what they used to be worth. But uh People will pay it. I'm sure someone will. For people that weren't there 25 years ago, Chronicles was the set where Wizards reprinted a bunch of cards that people thought they weren't going to reprint. And it was the one of the first instances where people started claiming the sky was falling, the game was ending, and everything was going to crash. And yeah. and it was predicated on them like overprinting Chronicles like crazy, just stuffing it into the supply chain. Stores had tons of it lying around, and so cards that had gained in value over the last 12 months or so were suddenly plentifully available. It's just hilarious in retrospect because most of the cards in question were not relevant for the rest of the history of Magic. Yeah, I mean, to be fair, they uh, took 25 years for those cards to gain any value. No, 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 but I'm I'm talking about how like the impact on the black border is basically irrelevant. Whether they had printed Chronicles or not printed Chronicles, original beta version, Arabian Nights version, uh, Legends versions of cards like... um, Not Ancestral Recall. What's the... Was it just Recall? The one that had the blue card that was in Chronicles? Uh, I think so. That dude, like, kind of... The dude walking with the... Like, Mayan-ish helmet. Yes, yes. Yeah, that was Recall. Yeah, so people were really upset that Recall got reprinted. Nobody ever plays that card anymore. Like it's, <laughs> And the original yeah. version is only worth because it's original version. So, right. yeah, Se- secondary reprints are, are not a big deal. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and we're seeing now that, you know, hold on to revised Shivens long enough, they're, they turn into a thing. Mm-hmm. So moving right along to the top Magic Online movers of the week, we've got mostly some standard stuff going on here. Vade Rock Apex of Thunder from Ikoria going from 0.29 ticks to 0.57. That's about 100% gains on the back of being played in some standard decks, uh, blue-red decks. The Ozolith of Ikoria going from 0.66 to 1.3. Could be... This, it see, does see some uh, fringe play 
in standard, but I think it could be the Zabas uh, MH2 reveal that's impacting things there. This is the modular card that was revealed, uh, I think it was this afternoon. Uh, Zabaz the Glimmer Wasp, one for a 0-0 legendary artifact creature insect, modular one. But if a modular triggered ability would put one or more plus one plus one counters on a creature you control, that you put that many plus, uh, plus one plus one counters plus one. So if you have this and an Arcbound Ravager and a Harden Scales out and the Glimmer Wisp dies, you're going to put three counters on your Ravager. Yeah, I mean, it seems to make the most sense of any of the possible options. What else would it be for? And then you have a couple couple little side abilities here that seem kind of tacked on. For red, you can destroy a target artifact you control, so you can basically trigger your modular without having a sack out, another sack outlet. And for white, you get to give Zabaz flying until the end of turn. Yeah, yeah, which is nice additional options make it a little more competitive and constructed gives it some tools to do something useful. And then rounding out this list of Magic Online movers, we've got Extus Auric Overlord from Strixhaven going from 7 tickets to 15. That's just fairly impressive for a card that's largely, uh, whose price pressure is basically based on the black-green X, sacrifice X and standard. And then alongside that, Charming Prince out of Eldraine had the biggest gains, uh, 0.55 tickets to 1.7 tickets. Uh, 210% on the back of being played, and I think two different flavors of Yorion decks in standard lately. Yeah. Yeah, probably. I mean, he's definitely seen some repeated action, so not terribly surprising. Although two in standard, I could see two in like modern. Two in standard is kind of funny. I forgot Yorion was even legal in standard. <laughs> it's an Ikoria card, which was just a year ago. Man, was it only a year ago? Time warp. Alrighty, so let's uh, transition on over here to segment three, cards to watch. We've got a full slate this evening. Uh, I'm going to kick things off with one of my, uh, I think, most likely targets from Strixhaven Foil Extended Arts, uh, found in the Strixhaven Collector Boosters. And a lot of these cards have been widely ignored, or at least uh, flying a little under the radar, despite uh, them showing up in some prominent deck lists and top eights so far, just on the basis that everybody was focused on the Mystical Archives, trying to track down strange versions of Time Warp to ship off to Japan, or trying to get their Demonic Tutor foils locked down for their personal collections. So Elite Spellbinder is definitely on my radar these days. Six to 12 months to go, say, you can get them around $12, $13, plus minus a dollar, depending where you're buying. I think this is going to be one of those... Uh, foil extended art rares that you get in close to 10 and it ends up being a 30 or 40 dollar card within the year and give it another year and it's going to be pushing 60 70 80 pretty similarly to Thassa's oracle uh confidence level nine it's showing up all over the place in modern and legacy as a three or a four of not that big of a deal in edh so it certainly uh depends a little more than some other specs on competitive play coming back to the forefront and if we were if this was a card that had come out in ikoria i would have said you probably had a lot of time to wait before it was going to be a big deal but given where we're at you know some portions of the world are going to be able to start playing in paper uh paper in-person magic again this seems like a reasonable place to be over the next six months. Yep. Uh, Elite Spellbinder. So these are the extended art foils are are only 12 bucks right now. I mean, if someone had told you you could buy premium Snapcaster foils 
back when Innistrad released, you would have been all about that. Um, well, they were 100 for a very long time. But this is uh, already proven its worth in competitive formats. It would probably be more, but there's a good deal of players who just aren't bothering at the moment because uh, they don't need to yet. But they will uh, sooner, soonish, right? Like it's it's coming. So I I think this is a good play here. Um, Thirty seems, frankly, not too hard to hit. Not too hard of a target to hit. You know, if you look out two years, these could end up at a hundred dollars or more. I wouldn't wouldn't be surprised. I mean, it needs to hold the slots that it's currently occupying, and the decks need to stay relevant. We are heading into. We're in the midst here of Modern Horizons 2 spoiler season, and there's quite a lot of juice in that set. And we saw what happened when Modern Horizons upset the apple cart. But Spellbinder isn't thematically dependent. It doesn't need to be played in a human's deck. It doesn't need to be played in any particular deck other than one that wants to make use of a 3-1 flyer that has disruptive capabilities. So I don't put it on Snapcaster level. But it's definitely too cheap near ten bucks. Yeah, it's hard to say for sure. I, you know, I, that type of thing is. I, I don't want to be the guy to to try and determine whether this is a snapcaster or how much of a snapcaster is it. You know, well, how many units of snapcasters? A point seven snaps? Is it one point one snaps? I'll, I'll leave that to Ari Lax and those guys. Um, but I, it is definitely a competitive grade card, and I, I don't think we have to argue about that. Alrighty, what's your first selection? Um, of the week? Well, you know, I saw that Chatterfang was spoiled, and my timeline went nuts <laughs> over him. So I think there's going to be a good amount of excitement about that card in the greater EDH community uh, because not only does it play into um, squirrels, which are you know a, a sort of a Vorthos-ish favorite, uh, it's also good. Uh, so that will not only get those Vorthos type players, but people who are maybe need a little bit more meat on the bone to want to play something like that are going to be in for the ride, uh, which is important uh, because it means it's not just a gimmick. There's a little more to it. So, you know, working from that perspective, uh, my first pick this week is a real outlier for what we normally talk about. It is a recently printed uh, uncommon non-foil. Uh, I could probably count on one hand the number of times I've picked a card like this, but I'm looking at Pitiless Plunder. This is the four mana creature, I think it's four, that when a creature you control dies, you create a treasure token. Why does that matter? Well, with Chatterfang in play and Pitiless Plunder, here's how this works. You pay a mana, you sacrifice a squirrel, you give a creature plus X minus X, which is like the the, power, the number of squirrels you sacrifice. So it's like one. But you basically have a creature minus one toughness. Because your creature died that you sacrificed, Pitiless Plunder triggers and gives you a treasure token. And because you got a treasure token, you get a squirrel token. So the total loop here, you are even on creatures, even on mana, and one other creature has gotten minus one toughness, which means you can use this to machine gun the entire table. Uh, leaving only your your creatures, so it's essentially a, in Garrick's wake when you put them together, or a plague plague win for the more 
franchise player, a little longer in the tooth. And it will also give you all of those sack triggers. So if you have anything that cares about creatures being sacrificed, whether it's you know, blood artists or anything like that, you'll just win the game. So on its own, it's a very potent combination. And then if you combine it with anything else, it probably just gets absolutely ludicrous. Pedilla's Plunder is in 21,000 EDH rec decks, having been printed in Ixalan. The supply is fairly low. There's only 28 vendors. R rivals, rivals of Ixalan. Yeah, I yeah, guess. yeah, whatever. It's all Ixalan-ish, that era. Um, you know, there's a bit of a supply here on, a bit, of, a bit of supply here. There's only 28 vendors, but like one guy has 200 copies. So it's not like there's no copies here. And I'm talking about buying these at like $9. Um, and the, the 200 copies are sitting at 15. So you're buying a little under that guy, but not that far down. But, you know, virtually every person that builds Chatterfang will need to put this card in the deck. Like the synergy here should be basically 100%. And the guy with 200 copies is not going to sell 200 copies at 15. Once he starts selling those, he's going to raise his price. So there's a, there's, a, there's a density of copies here, but I think that um, there will definitely be a significant movement on this with Chatterfang coming in the next three to six months, right? Because we know the EDH crowd runs a little slower. Um, and especially maybe some of the people attracted to squirrels might not be in the process of putting this type of deck together today, the same way that like all the spell table players are. Might take them a little bit longer to get to it because they might be a little more casual. But the, the long and short of it is that this new commander is going to push copies of this card and it's already very popular. And there's, I can't imagine this would be on the radar for a reprint anytime soon i think if you're buying these at nine you can probably get out at 20 um maybe this year ideally possibly early next year i don't love how deep the inventory is or that it's an uncommon that can be mined from recent bulk um these were certainly a lot more attractive a couple of years ago when they were under a dollar people you know yeah. this guy with 200 copies is a guy who's probably scoped early on that he could scoop these up real cheap and he's going to live high on the hog in the 10 to 15 dollar range making six or seven bucks after hassle and fees but the card is played pretty widely i mean twenty thousand decks is no joke taste karlov it's in like 74 percent of those decks 67 percent of endrick sar master breeder decks play it yogmoth decks play it in 53 percent another 1200 decks on edh rec there so I mean, there's a lot of ways this card can combo off, whether it's duplicating the number of treasure tokens you're getting or leveraging an aristocrat-style build. Because the thing here is that it doesn't just trigger off uh, non-token creatures. It includes tokens as well. So the decks that have a lot of turnover in terms of creatures entering and leaving the battlefield get a lot of mileage out of this card. You make an argument that it's that's a black smothering tithe, really. Well, that's that's the key is that it triggers off non to off token creatures. If it didn't, this would be a whole other story, but it does, so it's it's worth thinking about. Yeah, so I, I like the card. Uh, I'm not sure, you know, where do you see this going? I, I think 20 what is pretty called? reasonable. I know that guy has a lot of copies at 15, but you know, if he sells four, if he if it gets to the point where he's low and he sells four or five of them, he's probably going to start moving that that price up and realistically right realistically that's a, that's a lot of copies but are there any other major dumps of copies of this out there beyond this guy and tcg player i mean there there might be you know there is possible there's some other store who has a huge chunk of them that just hasn't posted them on tcg player you know maybe star series or what have you but i mean at the same time if there's 250 copies of this uncommon 350 copies of this uncommon on tcg player is that actually that many 
how many people have to go buy buy this card for it to empty out? Like it's actually not that many when you think about it. So here's the play I would probably make instead of going after the non-foils on TCG player. I would probably look over in Europe where you can still get foils in and around $13 to $15 all in. There's not a whole lot of them left, but I suspect that's the play. Yeah. Because there's a lot less competition. You probably can't go as deep, but I don't think you'll be as exposed either. This is the kind of card where it's kind of expensive for an uncommon, but Wizards might just go ahead and throw it in a EDH deck. So, and if it shows up there, there'll be tons of copies. That's true. I mean, it's not without its risk. Um, it, it does seem a little particular in its character. I mean, it's not named, and uh, but it's eh, maybe they could print this in in other regions. I, I understand the risks and the concerns. I'm not. I'm not arguing those, but I think that there are not often opportunities to go for cards like this. And I think it might end up working out better than we think, because it's different than the type of cards we tend to talk about. Um, you know, it's the, this uncommon with a high supply, which is definitely not the universe we're typically talking about, but might end up succeeding just because of how many people need copies now. And it being, you know, at a, a reasonably accessible price point where people aren't scared off by it. I mean, I certainly believe that there are going to be more than 200 people looking to buy this card for Chatterfang. Yeah, I I think so too. I mean, I wish I could tell you to go buy foils or, or you know, find super cheap copies somewhere, but uh, it doesn't seem like that's the case at the moment. Well, it's been targeted for yeah. sure. So there's, there's one of the issues here is we're post-spike as opposed to pre, uh, which is not always where we want to be. So... Looking at my next card to watch here, uh, one of the more exciting cards to be revealed for Modern Horizons 2 this week is Garth One-Eye, a Wooburg commander, all five colors, for a 5-5 legendary creature human wizard. One of the cooler designs in the set. Tap, choose a card name that hasn't been chosen from among. Disenchant, Brain Geyser, Terror, Shivan Dragon, Regrowth, and Black Lotus. Create a copy of the card with the chosen name. You may cast that copy. So, throughout the course of your EDH game, you're going to get to cast all of those cards at least once. And my understanding is that if you flicker Garth in or out of play, or if he leaves the battlefield and comes back later, you basically get to start the whole cycle all over well, again. Well, yeah, that's that's how that would work. It's when he comes into play, you can go through all five of them. And then you, if you flicker him, you get to start over because he's a new character, a new creature. And so this is a rather special opportunity because what we have here is wizards directing attention to a pile of other cards, some of which are, you know, <laughs> extremely iconic, like Black Lotus, and others of which are basically more or less unplayed in EDH. I mean, you don't see a lot of Shivan Dragons and Terrors getting cast in your average EDH game. But this is a little different because anybody who wants to, you know, run a Garth deck for the long term, and there's a lot of fun ways to build this deck, given that you, you basically just have this nucleus of cards that aren't even in your in your 99. I mean, the rest of the 99, you can almost do whatever you want with. And then over here, you've got this basically sideboard you get to dip into throughout the rest of the game. You get a little kill. You get a little card draw. You get a big creature to throw on the table. You can bring other stuff back from your graveyard, and you get to cast Black Lotus every once in a while. And so what that does is it encourages people to do something that they don't usually do with their EDH decks, which is to 
put fan- extra fancy versions of these cards on the table as talking points for the rest of their playgroup. So they can be like, oh, I'm playing Garth's today. And they can lay out their Black Lo- unlimited Black Lotus from their collection in an EDH game, which they've never had the opportunity to do before. They can, and then their friend spills beer on it and they're never friends again. But they, there's a lot to be said for people going after sexy versions of the cards called out here because all it's really going to take is a few hundred collectors to decide that they want to put some cool stacks of them on the table and they're going to start to dry up. So I'm going to call out Terror beta copies and it's not too hard right now to try to find a $100-$120 copy graded like an 8.5, maybe a 9. I think I snapped off a 9 with pretty high grades for about 120 yesterday. Um, I'm not going to go super deep on this, but I'm going to get a smattering of cool versions of each of these things other than Black Lotus, <laughs> obviously. Um, because, you know, to get a Beta Terror, that's already a card that's going to show slow, steady growth as a collector piece. You know, people that are trying to pull together Beta collections, this market gets... Doesn't, never gets any wider in terms of supply. It only gets narrower in terms of cards getting siphoned off into collections. So, you know, already on a two, three, four year horizon, buying a $100 beta terror graded or an ungraded card in the, you know, $50, $60, $70 range is going to be pretty solid. Now you've got Garth on top of that, creating a completely different oblique angle of attack in terms of the value of those cards. Seems like the kind of thing where buy a couple, you know, a fancy Shivan Dragon or a Terror or a Brain Geyser, you're probably going to do just fine if you got a good entry point. I agree completely. And I, I was one of many people who I think saw this and went, oh, I should go find the cool versions of each of these cards uh, and looked up the NPR Terrors, which are quite good to find out they were basically already gone. Congratulations if you were one of the people that managed to jump on top of that. At, you know, the, other than the MPR, I think the <clears throat> the beta version is probably the most appealing from our perspective as sort of an intersection between a cool version you'd want to own and also uh, something that you could actually see yourself spending money on as opposed to like, you know, an alpha version or what have you. Uh, so I, and at $100, I like that price point very much. I wouldn't expect it. I wouldn't have expected it to be that cheap. Uh, I actually didn't look at them even though i was looking at the npr terrors because i assumed that it would be you know a couple hundred dollars already and not really where i wanted to be and i also agree with the concept that this gives you a uh, a better reason to buy a card like this you know one of the problems with with you know getting really cool versions of instants and sorceries is they sit in your hand and only you're looking at it and then uh you cast it and then it goes to your graveyard and you don't look at it anymore which is a bummer, right? You need you need visibility equity on your cool cards. You know, you want if you paid for them, you want to make sure people look at them. And this uh, setup, this this Garth allows you to do that. Uh, so you get a lot more value for having spent money on something like this. Overall, I, th- I think it's a good choice, and uh, probably ends up being well, well. We'll talk about that in a minute or two. But I definitely like how this this plays out. Um, so if you're you're getting beta terrors at hundred bucks, I support that. Yeah. So the specific call is get a mid tier graded version in and around hundred, looking to go two hundred plus. Yep. Call it call it in six to twelve months. Seems solid. 
All right. What about your next selection? Uh, so I'm keeping in on theme this week. The uh, next card that I looked up was Pest Infestation. And if you don't recognize the name of that, that's not surprising because it's brand new. It's from Commander 21. Pest Infestation is a sorcery that is double X green and it is destroy X target artifacts or enchantments and then create twice that many pest tokens. So the card's actually quite useful uh, in a vacuum. It allows you to blow up a bunch of artifacts and enchantments uh, if you've got the mana to sink into it. Um, so for five mana, you get to destroy two items and then it goes up from there. And it gives you twice that many tokens. So if you spend five mana, you destroy four things. You destroy two things, but you get four tokens. With Chatterfang, you're getting a squirrel for each one of those pest tokens you created, which is really good value because now you're getting a ton out of it. And that's only five mana. If you move this up to seven, you're getting another thing. You blew up something else and you're getting two more pests and two more squirrels. So it scales up very strong. Um, I mean, I could see people playing this card occasionally and targeting their own uh art you know stupid artifact or enchantment they don't need anymore because they want to just scale up and make more pests and and squirrels the the important part here though is that this was from commander 21 it was only in uh that one particular product it was the commander decks themselves or something like that, that so there was no foils. Um, so the, there's only two versions of this card. There's like the super basic stop bear stock one. And then there's an extended art version of the card. Um, and that's the, you know, the only good version of this card essentially. And that's the one we're talking about here. So there's about 45 vendors. Um, it's not, you know, not like there's no copies of this available, but nobody really has too much. There's a guy who has about 30 of them. Uh, down the page but you're paying you know those are like seven bucks and i'm talking about buying these at like 350 or so so i mean there's some a little bit of inventory out there but you're buying it half the cost of where the the wall is um and again if you're building chatterfang you're <clears throat> you're probably looking to put the spell on your deck it's going to move a fair bit of copies and it's reasonably popular on its own it's only in 2000 edh rec decks but it's an eight percent of green decks since it was it's been printed and it's the fourth highest monocolored card from commander 21 there's a lot of competition there for um multicolored cards but uh was quite popular out of the set as well um, and i think this is just going to be the premium version of an already decent spell for a while and you have a new commander again that's going to drive you know extra attention to this yeah i buy this I, I you can get them a little cheaper in europe i think that's probably where you want to be biting them off but not a lot cheaper so either way and um, this will end up being a 15 or 20 dollar extended art just because there really aren't that many of them around you can only get them in, in the slot in the strix strixhaven cbs uh despite them being a commander 2021 card and uh it does do a lot of work with chatterfang that's going to put some pressure on it and it's just a generally useful card the utility is definitely not single commander limited yeah, th that's what i tried to focus on this week when i was talking about these cards it's like something that would already be likely to be popular you know going to be under some amount of pressure is a decent card that suddenly got a boost from chatterfang which is going to add some some weight to to the pick the other thing is, there's nobody with 200 copies of this card. Nope. You got Dice Guys on TCG with 32, and everybody else is 4 or less. Yeah. Much, much shallower. All right, I like it. 
so following on with the Garth uh, selections, I think with Shiv and Dragon, your betas are out of reach for most people, although that's a, certainly a, a solid pickup for the long haul as well. But revised copies of Shivan, despite having spiked already in the last year, are probably pretty reasonable in the face of Garth in and around the $30 to $40 range to head up to, say, $60, $70, or $80. There aren't that many of these sitting around at present that are in the open market. I do have suspicions that with all the revised spikes this year, there are people sitting on hundreds of copies of revised rares that they got pretty cheap. Entirely possible those will start leaking to the market, but I don't know how true it is. So, Shivens, I'm not going to go out and buy 30 of them at 35 bucks a piece, but to buy, you know, a handful and try to lean into the Garth thing, I think that's going to be fine. Sure. Uh, I mean, for anyone that's been playing long enough, uh, anyone who recognized the Plague Wind rather than Ingarak's Wake will know that... Uh, wait, this is... Sorry, let me just verify here. You have third written down. That's... Yeah, you keep you keep getting confused by this. That is the official symbol for revise. Revise, okay. I refuse to learn. That's why. But <laughs> anyone who's played a long time knows that the idea of some of a revise card being valuable is kind of crazy. But there was a, a bump on the revise stuff last year, and I definitely sold through, not shipping dragons, but sold through a fair number of revise cards at prices that were to me silly, but they worked. So there's you know I think the more franchise players are unlikely to be willing to spend $80 on a revised Shivan Dragon. But for players who don't didn't grow up with that sort of bit of a stigma around those cards, for them, it's the oldest version that they can reasonably afford. So I have no doubt that this will continue to move upwards, uh, which it kind of would have been doing anyways. But now that you've added Garth, there's players, a whole slew of players who would want to buy this that wouldn't have had, wanted to before. And we're, we're also getting the dragon commanders out of the D&D set. And Shivan, <laughs> I'm not convinced Shivan earns a slot in those dragon decks because they're looking to do some pretty nasty things and a Shivan's not really where it's at. But if you already have it for Garth, maybe you throw it into the, into the Tiamat deck. Yeah, I mean... Depends on what, how you're tuning no, Nobody's playing Shivan Dragon because it's good. But they will play it if they are building a flavorful dragon deck and you know hey this is a siobhan i really like siobhan so i'm gonna play it but and there are definitely players who make that decision even if it's not you or i people do do that um so i i don't discount that as a a vector all right hit me with the rest of these chatter fan picks. uh so i got two left i'll do them both here these i'm slightly softer on than the other ones but i think they're both still uh valid considerations here the first is the scoot swarm showcase foils they are five dollars right now for the showcase foils it's in thirteen thousand edh rec decks already uh from zendikar reborn rising the third zendikar zendikar rising rising mm-hmm. uh it's actually the fourth most played card from that set and it's a tight fourth too like the most played card from zendikar rising is like sixteen thousand, and this is thirteen thousand non-land cards so one of the most popular cards from the set uh nobody really has a deep supply on this there's uh oh, my page refreshed so i lost the the number let me get this back for you one moment uh there are 43 vendors with copies and i don't think yeah no one has basically more than a place out there's like one or two guys that have five copies and that's about it um so there's not a lot of these out there right now 
you've got the coolest version of Scoot Swarm. Um, there's no deep supply. Again, I, you know, Chatterfang is going to push players to this, but it's already got good numbers, so we know there's a strong bet of support to begin with. And, and if you weren't sure, Scoot Swarm is the when you create a when every time you play a land, you create an insect token. But if you have six lands, you get a copy of Scoot Swarm. So if you have enough lands and you play a land, you get a Scoot Swarm and a Squirrel. Then you play another one, another land, you get two Scoot Swarms and two Squirrels and then four scoot swarms and four squirrels and then eight and eight. So it snowballs really quickly, especially if you can set up a turn where you get a couple landfall triggers um, and guide your help your opponents if they aren't able to interact with it really quickly. You play a fetch land and then crop rotation or something and it's just there's nothing left to the board except squirrels. So it works really well in that deck and is already quite popular. So $5 showcase foils uh, I think are probably good to 10, maybe 15, depending on how things shake out. People on our Discord love to talk about how Zendikar Rising was so overprinted, but the reality is that it's only like 10 or 15, maybe 20% higher print run for those CBs than we've seen typically for standard sets. And this Scoot Swarm Showcase, which was extremely plentiful just six months ago, being down to 48 listings, 43 listings near Mint on TCG Player with a reasonably decent ramp from under 5 up to over 10, and basically no... Uh, vendor left standing with more than eight copies as far as I can see is testament to the fact that good cards in sets that are heavily printed will still drain out on a reasonable schedule yeah it's you know which is why I'm slightly less worried about the supplies than some of the other cards I've talked about just because if they're popular and they're good and people play them they move copies and sometimes the supply might be intimidating but that doesn't necessarily mean it's a bad choice well, and the other thing is they're giving us this insect commander in Modern Horizons 2. So mm. mm -hmm. that that also and and that commander because it is it can be played as a commander it is instantly relevant because a lot of the cards that are good for Chatterfang are also good for Grist the Hunger Tide. It's a Planeswalker for one black green, three loyalty. As long as Grist the Hunger Tide isn't on the battlefield, it's a 1-1 insect creature in addition to its other types, which means you can search it up, you can cocoa into it, you can... Anything that would affect uh, an insect creature out of play will affect Grist. And the Commander Rules Committee already ruled that you can also play it as a commander. So... This thing fools around with insects. It says the plus one is create a one one black and green insect creature token, then mill a card. If an insect card was milled this way, put a loyalty counter on Grist and repeat the process. So Scoot Swarm's going in that deck too. Yeah, I don't understand how he could possibly be your commander. That doesn't make any sense other than the commander, the CAG, deciding to be your friend. But whatever, it doesn't really matter. They said he can be, so that's good. Yeah, we actually... Um, we, we wrote all these picks down yesterday, so we had a whole day of spoilers that uh, didn't necessarily update for. And I had, that's a good point that suddenly Scoot Swarm looks even better with Grist out there because Scoot Swarm makes a bunch of insects. Um, it, it's it's like it's sort of medium-ish because you'll you'll actually produce once you have enough lands in play, which you probably will real quick in green black. You're actually going to stop producing insects. Uh, but wait, is Scoot Swarm an insect? It probably is, right? It must be. Yeah, it's still yeah, it an is. insect, so that's fine. Still makes more insects. Yeah. Um, 
Well, and the other thing is grits minus two is you sack a creature and destroy target creature or planeswalker. So anything that makes lots of le- copies of creatures and like fills your board to go in a go wide still works well with grits. So between Chatterfang and grits, you got and and by the way, those cards are going to be played in each other's decks. Right? Like, if you're playing Chatterfang, you're probably putting Grist in, and if you're playing Grist, you're putting Chatterfang in. Uh, possibly. I'll have to look again. Um, Alright, and my other pick is uh, another more recent one. Uh, Belladros Witherbloom, a name that I hate saying because it sounds just like rip-off Harry Potter, because it is. It's so Harry Potter. But, um, you know, aside... That's totally the, te- that's the, totally the teacher in the f- fourth movie that, like, gave Hermione a little too sexy of a look and then they had to drown him in the dungeon when he turned into a snake. For me, Belladros Witherbloom is the guy who teaches... Uh, it's a woman who teaches horticulture, but it, it's about like plants that turn into poisons. Like That's mm-hmm. what this is in my head. Uh, but she turns out... But she actually turns out to be their ally and she was Harry Harry's like mom's best friend. Yes. And, and she has one of the horcruxes like attached to her garters or something and it's like an old blue rose that the she, bad guy used to have a crush she, on her and it it, cr- it it crumbled when she broke she up with him. dated dumbledore and they have to find old love letters from dumbledore to her to find in <laughs> to find the password to get into a hidden cave uh but before dumbledore came out yeah but yes yeah, yeah mm-hmm. she was his beard um god i hate harry potter uh Belladress Witherbloom and Strixhaven borderless foils. So this is the... Yeah, not, not a lot of these sitting The most premium version of Belladress Witherbloom. There are 40 bucks for those. Um, again, it's going to be good in Chatterfang because it gives you a token every upkeep. So you're getting more squirrels. Also, it's got that life ability, you know, pay life to untap your lands, which uh, I've heard is pretty good. Um, and that's a deck that's definitely going to have a fair bit of life gain with, uh, you know, it's going to want a lot of blood artifacts, essentially. Uh, he's not in a ton of decks, 1.8, you know, 1,800, which is not a lot, but that is 8%. Remember, we're talking about Strixhaven, so 1,800 is actually... It's a lot in the first, it's a lot in the first few yeah, months. Yeah, it's pretty decent. He's also reasonably popular as a commander. Um, the most popular commander of the last month is Ozgear at about 1,200 decks, and Belladros is 600 or something. So he's not like... You know, he's no goal. She, I think. But she. Hmm. She. she sure oh, it is a she. Okay. Thank you. Thank you. Uh she's she's no Golos, but people are are definitely building her. Um I you know, checking the price graphs, it really does look like the price has started to bottom out on these copies, which isn't surprising. I mean, they're the mythic foil borderless mythic showcases, like they're just there's very few copies of these to begin with. Um, and everyone has forgotten about Strixhaven already, right? Like two weeks ago, that was all anyone could talk about. But now it's, hey, Modern Horizons is just is all over social media. People forgot Strixhaven exists. So I think the, the hype train is, is pretty much past there. Uh, so again, you've got a card that's got a pretty good outlook in EDH in general. Um, and is going to see some renewed interest or additional interest with Chatterfang. Uh, which so that's that's my angle here just the supply i think is going to work well in your favor there's just not that many out there if we refer back to the strixhaven collector booster contents uh chart that wizards provided in the collecting strixhaven article that came out on march 25th uh of note the slot within which you can find this card because it cannot be found anywhere other than the collector boosters in the borderless alt art version 
Uh, that slot is where the foil mystical archives are found. Uh, you can get a Japanese alt art variant mystical archive, rare or mythic. You can get an extended art uh, foil rare or mythic, or a borderless planeswalker or school leading dragon slot slash plot device. Um, my point being, this is a busy, busy slot. And that's why the inventory is particularly deep on these. It's also why these kind of started in the $25 to $30 range and never really dropped down into the $10 to $15 range, despite, you know, not actually seeing any immediate constructed play. You know, normally you would expect, you know, something like, I, I was buying Great Henges at $22 or something first few months after Eldraine came out, and they were a lot harder to find in those collector boosters. So I don't love this price, this entry point around 40 It's possible that all the focus on Modern Horizons 2 will push some people to undercut pricing down to the $35 range, or you'll catch some late-night auctions on eBay or something. But I don't think... There's not enough of this getting opened anymore to really you know, drop you to that $25 entry point. I just don't think it's possible. So what you're looking at here is a slow, steady drain up into your target range. Like this will be a $60 or $80 card one day in the, down, the, down the road. I don't know if it's six months, 12 months, or 18, but these will drain out because it's a fancy looking dragon. It's going to go into a bunch of dragon decks. Again, we do, we do have dragon decks coming. It has, this particular dragon has abilities that are useful in non-dragon decks. And, um, as you said, plays into the green-black tokens theme that seems to be uh, resonating throughout both Strixhaven and Modern Horizons 2. Yeah, th- this card and um, Scootswarm are definitely a slightly longer horizon for me. I, you know, I don't think these are going to be immediate flips, but um, you know, it's just trying to get ahead of the game a little bit. Instead of buying the last four copies, it's giving you some time to sock some away for um, down the road. Get a little nice little mix there, so you're not trying. Not not everything has to be a, a fire sale tomorrow. Um, also worth looking at the black white dragon, and think I think that's the this probably the the two top priorities out of the dragons, uh, because as you said, the yeah Shadrick Silver Quill uh, is reported in. I think you said Witherbloom was almost 1,900 decks, 14% of all green, black, and Shadrix is just about 13, like 1,250, 9% of black, white decks. So it's not far behind. Both, both pretty solid. Yeah, the dragons themselves, you know, probably deserve a, a whole once over, but the um, this one caught my attention just because of Chatterfang. So to kick to finish off with cards to watch, we've got a Pro Trader selection that it mirrors my Elite Spellbinder. I think you can go either way with these two cards, um, or get some of both. Nate Blyweiss, one of the Pro Traders, called out Sedgemore Witch Foil Extended Arts to go fourteen or fifteen or so to about mid thirties. Basically the same kind of call as Elite Spellbinder. They're found in the same slot in the Strixhaven Collector Boosters, Foil Extended Art Rares. Um, it's popping up all over the place in Modern and Legacy, and it's an EDH card. It's kind of like a black Monastery Mentor that generates tokens that aren't quite as good as the Mentor tokens, but this thing has Ward 3, um, oh, sorry, Ward 3 life. So if you target it, you, uh, you have to pay 3 life, so there's some upside there versus Mentor. Um, 7% of all black decks on EDH Rex since it was released 
to me, Elite Spellbinder and Sedgemore Rich are just kind of locks on on a similar horizon. Yeah, they both are uh, obviously pretty pretty powerful cards. Pretty definitely meant for constructed. Um, both can do some work in, in EDH, probably not like the most popular in that regard, but they're not going to be no-shows entirely like some competitive cards end up being. Uh, and the price point looks good. I know that, um, you know, the, the pro traders have talked about this before, but, you know, Foil extended our promos here that, you know, the most premium version of this, of these competitive grade cards is is tempting. Um, that's, a, that's a good price point for cards of this nature. Uh, so I think you're this is a pretty solid pick. And I would bet that both of these cards get at least two to three years before they catch a reprint. Yeah, I would agree with that. I don't think like they I think Spellbinder has a chance to show up in Challenger Challenger decks as a non foil next spring for standard play. Um maybe Witch as well, but not not foil extended arts. No, I I, I yeah, I wouldn't expect to see them in promotional premium versions again immediately uh you've probably got some time before that comes up uh they're going to give these a little bit of room to breathe i do think you will see them but i don't think we're there you've got probably two years at least for at least spellbinder also worth shouting out that several other pro traders had mentioned this card to me in private as potential picks for this submission process or had just discussed it openly in the Pro Trader Discord over the weeks. And I think from the very first time I saw Sedgemore Witch doing in the Chain of Smog combos in the Legacy deck list that were top baiting, I knew it was going to end up going to be a pick on the on the show. But somebody had to get the coupon for it, and this time it's Nate. So congrats to Nate. He gets a $25 gift certificate from Cool Stuff Inc., just one of the many benefits of being a Pro Trader. Yeah, it's, right. some, I was just say sometimes there's uh, everyone's got their eye on the same card. It's just a matter of find, you know, having to land on the right week to have said it out loud. All right. So since last week, lots of news on the uh, Modern Horizons 2 front. They've been hot and heavy on the spoilers uh, lately. And we'll dive right in here. Probably the, one of the biggest reprints, um, because keep in mind, there are, there are no reprints for existing modern cards in Modern Horizons 2 other than Modern Horizon 1 cards showing up as old border foils and etched foils in the collector booster boxes. So you can't get any Modern Horizons 1 cards. You know, they revealed Giver of Runes, Force of Negation, and Old Border. You can't get those in in the set booster boxes or the regular booster boxes for Modern Horizons 2. But you, and, so you, and you can't find them non-foil anywhere. You only get foils of these Modern Horizon 1 cards. So if you're rushing out to like sell your non-foil with the first slivers, please stop because non-foils shouldn't be threatened as the cheapest versions of the, the cards involved. Um, it's also not everything you know from Modern Horizons 1 that, that's getting uh, a reprint in, in the collector booster boxes here. There are 23 uncommons from MH1, 12 rares, and 5 mythics that are uh, getting printed into Old Border Foil etc in the cbs so some of your stuff's not going to get hit anyway um worth flagging that urza seems very likely to be one of those five mythics but hasn't been revealed yet and urza lord high Har- lord lord hard artificer lord high artificer foils were spiking recently which leads you you and i to believe that 
somebody probably has advanced notice that Urza is not catching a reprint here. Oh, in yeah. Which case, in which case, his foils go through the roof. There are so many cards. I was doing research for this, um, you know, for Chatterfang and for a variety of other stuff. I was seeing all sorts of weird price movement that was like, this makes no sense unless you knew some of these cards were coming so clearly there were you know individuals acting about a month to two months ago sometimes more uh that had foreknowledge of what was coming here and some of this stuff like we clocked like there was rumors roaming around on reddit that revealed more or less what grits ended up being the planeswalker that was an insect in another zone that rumor was floating around for months but there's also information that never crossed our desks that other people clearly had access to um, that exp- is the only way to explain people going after some of the early stuff. I mean, when there was hints of squirrels on the packaging a month ago, squirrel stuff started taking off. But some of the squirrel stuff was moving months ago as well. So it's got definitely has shades of the, the way that Modern Horizons 1 went down where ninjas and snowlands and stuff were out there being discussed four or five months in advance. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so out of our, are we looking at the spoilers here? Or do you have more to say on the pack distribution and setup? Well, that was a long-winded way of coming back around to mentioning that, uh, the only reprints in the set proper, the set proper are cards that have never been in modern before. And probably the most, uh, important of those that we've seen is Cabal Coffers, a card that was only ever printed once in Torment and whose foils have been long since been quite pricey. And what they did here is they picked out some of the mythics to get a showcase treatment that basically is uh, full art uh, and alt art. So there's the regular Cabal Coffers in the set, but then there's a borderless uh, foil, sorry, borderless non-foil and foil version of Cabal Coffers that you can find in the collector booster boxes that are uh, the fanciest version. And it's got great art. Uh, I think they're going to do very well. They also moved this from rare to mythic. Or was Cabal Coffers an uncommon originally? Uh, yep. Sure was. Yeah, so now it's a mythic. Uh, and, you know, that's not going to do the price any any favors as you go out further down the road. Yeah, it was a Torment uncommon originally. So the, the borderless rares and mythics, I think 19 of the mythics out of the 20 in the set get the alt art borderless treatment so there's no foil extended arts for the mythics the mythic basically all the extended art foils in modern horizons 2 are rares because the the mythics in question get their their own borderless art treatment similar to what they've been doing with planeswalkers and the dragon uh the dragon lords from strixhaven uh, so yeah, Coffers is a big deal because bringing it into Modern means you can play it alongside Urborg. Um, there's not really a deck in the top eight meta for Modern right now where Coffers seems to slot in because we don't really have a mono black deck in the format. Uh, but this helps push you in that direction. I don't know if people are going to start trying to cast Obliterators or what have you. Um, but at, at bare minimum, even if this doesn't make a real splash in Modern anytime soon, it's still a big deal premium version of this card to have available for EDH. Yeah, people have been trying to make mono black, you know, MBC mono black control work in modern since before the format's inception, uh, essentially. Uh, I don't think this is going to be what makes it. And I, that's 
think the days of that being an art type are kind of long gone. So I don't have high hopes of this breaking into modern in any meaningful way. There's no doubt that it'll show up in a couple odds and ends, kind of weird combo decks or, you know, some guy at your F&M who wears a lot of metal shirts is going to try and play it. Uh, but all of that's sort of irrelevant. It's definitely going to draw a lot of demand for EDH because it's the first Cabal Coffers reprint we've had. Um, probably a lot of players who didn't even know this card existed uh, are going to go try and grab it now that they have access to it where they didn't before and where they didn't know that it existed essentially. So I think uh, I think that's kind of the angle for Cabal Coffers here. And and as we saw in segment two with the, the price movement in Urborg, um, it's going to put some renewed interest on that card as well. Now, it is also worth flagging that they've revealed two other pretty powerful black cards. There's a demonic tutor variant called Profane Tutor. Sorcery, suspend two, one and a black. Search your library for a card, put that card into your hand, then shuffle. Yeah. So so there's a bunch of free ways to, like off, off Asphertold, you just get to cast this in DT right away. Um, so I definitely sold some Asphertold foils today. Oh, yeah. Uh, and those those were on the move uh, a ways back as well because the the rumor about suspend cards goes back several months and was pretty widespread. Mm. And then there was also this card grief that was revealed, two and two black for a three two menace elemental incarnation. But the most important part is if you evoke it, you exile black card from your hand, which basically puts it into play. Its effect happens and then it goes away right away, like you sack it uh, as part of the resolution. And the effect is when it enters the battlefield, the target opponent reveals their hand, you choose a non-land card from it, that player discards that card. So now you can have four grief, four thoughtseize in a deck and really go to town shredding hands. Well, yeah, and what you've you left off here um, on on grief is the play where you uh, and anyone who played back in the Lorwyn era or early EDH will know this one where you evoke the creature, which is a evoke, you put it into play, and then you also then have to sacrifice it. But with the sacrifice trigger on the stack, you flicker it. And now you get to uh, keep it, and you get the ability again. Uh, right. So, so in some kind of black-white-X deck, you could be ephemerate this, this thing on turn one twice. Yeah. So basically get shred their hand twice. Which is absolutely disgusting. And then you get to keep the card, right? I, I'm pretty confident that is how that works. I would have to double check, but I do not see why it wouldn't. So, so getting... that's it that's it. <laughs> yeah. Three two menace on on turn one with two with, discard effects. Yeah, with double exile a card from your opponent's hand effects. Uh-huh. That's Somewhat... not bad. Yeah, I I don't know if there's a deck for it, but it seems pretty pushed. Uh, it does a lot of the things that it feels like competitive players want to be doing, so yeah. definitely worth keeping an eye on. Uh, what was the What was the other card you were just talking about before grief? Because I had thoughts about profane, that too. profane tutor. Oh yeah, the thing about profane tutor in the Asphertold decks that's interesting is you you Asphertold and then profane tutor, and then either go get an instant that costs like one, so that you can cast it for free during your opponent's turn when you follow up by passing the turn, or you go and get your next free spell that you're setting up to cast the following turn to make sure you pull off like the one two combo uh so it, it gives that deck some some potency there as well i mean you can even suspend this on turn two to go get the as told that you'll need in a couple turns if you're running behind well and in games two and three you're going to get relevant sideboard cards yep that too so there's so, some 
tech tools there for sure. And, and, and we're talking multi-format staple here because I don't know to what extent Profane Tutor will make a splash in Modern. Seems like at least in the As Foretold decks. But in EDH, this is a super staple. This is basically another relatively cheap demonic tutor. I mean, suspend for two turns is nothing in EDH. Yeah, it's 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 different because you can't just like draw this and start going off. Um, two two turns is not like an insignificant number of turns in EDH in the way that it is, and like it's it doesn't it's not as fast because you have to wait for everyone's stupid turns. Um, and how dare they have turns? It's supposed to be all about you. But it will be good there, especially with Demonic Tutors at 50 bucks. Like, this is a, a sort of fine option, right? Well, there's also t- the EDH, the nature of the format. You have maximum number of cards available to you that can cast spells for free. True. So, they're, you know, whatever it is that's too slow or cl- junk, like janky to be trying to do with Profane Tutor and Modern, you're going to get a chance to do that EDH. Literally any card that lets you cast spells for free that you know is going to be potentially a thing to look at with tutor so yeah i I think the card's pretty important it's also got sick richard kane ferguson art on it yeah it is cool art um we have what else wonder popped up um a longtime favorite of edh players not clear how much that'll actually manage to do to matter in modern uh anger would have been a little more interesting but that makes it a lot harder to to design around people were real jumpy about void mirror this is essentially the new null rod or something to that effect which is the two mana artifact that whenever a player casts a spell if they didn't spend colored mana to cast it you counter it so this is an artifact that will then cause other artifacts to be countered because mostly because they probably didn't spend colored mana to cast it uh and also free spells um you know the the profane tutor we were just talking about also stuff like force of will um, anything that you didn't spend a colored mana to cast, it, it hoses Cascade. There's a lot of sort of, this is one of those cards that you read it and you go, wow, this is artifact hate. And then you start to notice all of the like, oh, this actually hits way more than I realized. It just didn't jump off the page at me. So this will probably be a, a pretty popular sideboard card in quite a few formats. So of the five Modern Horizons 1 Mythics that are catching, getting a reprint vis-a-vis uh, Old Border Treatment, etc., Sword of Truth and Justice was confirmed. The first sliver was confirmed. And what else did they give us? I can't remember if they revealed a third reprint MH1 Mythic yet. Don't see it. But I would guess that you're probably looking at Season Pyromancer or the white three casting cost creature as opposed to Sarah the Benevolent. I, I have doubts that they're going to do old border planeswalkers here. So I suspect Red and Six and Sarah are, are, are safe. Yeah, I, not that those are particularly important anyways. Well, I mean, Red well, and, and Six is, but Sarah is not. Yeah, Sarah is not. I'm just I'm browsing these other cards here as we're talking about it to see what jumps out at me. They showed off uh, Dakon Shadow Slayer, which I thought was kind of a a different card than I was expecting. It's white, blue, black, zero loyalty. When it enters the battlefield, it has an enters with a number of loyalty counters equal to the number of lands you control. 
strange to key an Esper card to number of lands in play. You expect that to require green mana. Plus one surveils two, minus three exiles target creature, and then minus six is you may put an artifact card from your hand or graveyard onto the battlefield. Yeah, he's pretty powerful. The It was definitely going to have to have something to do with lands on it based on the old design, which is kind of funny because it's not Esper these days. Right. Uh, the fact that you get to... If you know you can play this for three mana, he comes in with six loyalty counters, possibly, and then you flip a very expensive artifact into play. Could be pretty potent. It's going to be tricky to have six lands, but then also have like an artifact that's really good, right? If that makes sense. Well, it's cute that this fits into both my Brea and Atraxa decks. Because in Atraxia, it's just an, a, an efficient Planeswalker that in the late game is just scales really well. Um, and in Brea, the minus six is going to do some stuff. Mm-hmm. Yep. No shortage there. Um, people were real excited about Rishon Dockhand, but I don't think they realize that having that on a creature instead of a land is kind of important. So I don't not yeah, that, that seems that seems more cute than important. However, yeah. late this evening they did reveal a brand new uh, blue merfolk merfolk god, Saivelun, god of sea and sky. One blue blue legendary creature merfolk god. If you control two other merfolk, uh, Saivelun, god of sea and sky, has indestructible. When she attacks, you draw a card. And other merfolk you control have ward one, which means people have to pay one extra mana to target them, and it's a three four. It's and it's got and it's got Seb McKinnon art. <laughs> so not only they are they clearly trying to push merfolk back into the spotlight for modern, but they're doing it with the arguably the best artist on the roster and with a very powerful looking mythic. I would imagine that the and the the alt art looks pretty good. So I would imagine. Alt arts of this card are going to be real pricey right out of the gate. I don't remember if Merfolk ever mattered in modern. I'm having trouble remembering. I mean, it's certainly it's certainly top eighted things in modern as as recently as two years ago. Well, everything um, top eight something in modern. No, but I mean, like had had done so on more than just one occasion. Had done so sporadically over a fairly long period of time, and at a certain point people just decided it was a tier 2.5 or 3 deck some people still play it you don't we haven't talked about it in top 8s for ages but they are giving a bunch of probably it looks like they are tr- deliberately trying to push some of those lower tier decks back into the spotlight is that going to work across the board no is it possible the merfolk deck never gets anywhere despite this god sure is that going to stop this myth this the foil borderless version of this mythic from being very expensive no <laughs> yeah this, this card is gonna be worth money oh for sure uh well uh i mean it's a mythic so the numbers are already in a good shape i'm i'm not convinced that it will be i don't know if it will be meaningful or not competitively and if it's not i don't see it being terribly popular merfolk's not a huge casual tribe and it's not really a big deal in edh so it kind of has to be good competitively to to have a above baseline price tag. And in competitive magic, even if Merfolk plays it, they might only play one or two copies, right? Right. 
So I actually like the the premium versions of these might do okay for the Murph for the Corbin Hostlers out there, but um, actually, the more I think about it, the less I like this. Unless this deck turns out to be just absurdly good, some sort of new Murfolk that uses like Rishadon and that type of thing. So according uh, to EDH Rec stats, though, Murfolk is the seventeenth most popular tribe. Twenty one hundred twenty one hundred decks logged on the site, and the top commanders are Kumena, Sig. Chulane, Tashana, and Kopala. Okay. <laughs> and of course, Thrasios is a merfolk, not that it much matters. Yeah, I, 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 sure, I believe people build it. I, I don't think that it's popular, basically. All right, so take a look at this 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 Boros card they, they coughed up. General Ferris Rockerick. And by the way, they just totally got drunk and wrote random names on a whiteboard like this the naming in the set does leave something to be desired. I think there's like a Garth and a Rarth or something. A Karth. Yeah, a Karth, Karth. Karth. Karth and Garth are both characters in this set. You haven't even picked out the most ridiculous named <laughs> creature yet. Oh yeah. 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 We'll get to that. So anyway, the general good general here is one red white for three, one legendary creature, human soldier Hexproof from monocolored. You can't path it. You can't, bolt it you can't fatal push it and whenever you cast a multicolored spell create a 4-4 red and white golem artifact creature token this card is getting played and bring to light decks it makes four fours every time they cast something um yeah that doesn't seem terrible it doesn't seem terrible as like a, as a backup because if every spell in your deck is multicolor I mean, it's an alternate win condition, but also gets to play defense for a little while. It's like I feel like they'd have to change the deck up to play four of them. But uh, and if there's only one, it's a little less potent. But he's an interesting card, nonetheless. Again, I, you know, we're talking about evaluating these, and we know that at the moment EDH is such the driver of prices, so it's hard to to look at these in a different manner like I'm, I'm evaluating everything through that lens right like how popular this this will be in edh and if it's not I'm, I'm real lukewarm on it essentially at least at this point in time i would guess he's a top eight commander from modern horizons too but that's not saying a lot because there's gonna be a lot of cool options yeah i mean really like you're playing a boros commander that makes four fours i don't know about sure. that oh i think you can do it because his hex group from monocolored is is even more useful against three people than it is against one hmm you know, it's particularly uh, good against protection for hexproof and monocolor is just wraths. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but but you're playing Teferi's protection and variants thereof, ephemerates, etc., so that you can. I guess ephemerate doesn't work, but Teferi's protection and other stuff in white that lets you get all your stuff back. The, the people will build this this commander for sure. People build everything, but I don't think it's going to be popular. Okay, um, they also coughed up ignoble hierarch tonight just before we started recording. Yeah. This is Noble Hierarch, but in Jund colors. Pretty much everything else the same. Cost one green, zero one, exalted. Makes Jund, taps for Jund colors. So now you can run four Noble Hierarch, four Ignoble Hierarch if you want to be doing that. Or you can just throw this into an Infect deck. I think Tom Ross coughed up a, a Twitter post pretty much immediately showing this off alongside Phyrexian Crusader, suggesting that that could be a thing. This card is real big of a deal. Uh... I saw Liz tweeting constantly about Ignoble Hierarch all of a sudden. I'm like, what is this card? 
And then I looked at it. I'm like, is this card exactly what it sounds like? Yes, it is. It's a goblin too, kind of, uh, on the down low. That, but the Jund Noble Hierarch is going to see a lot of play. Like, Noble Hierarch is very possible, popular, uh, has been since it was printed, and I don't expect this to be any different. So, some folks in the Discord said that they didn't think this is what Jund needs and might not run it. They, it's also true that Noble Hierarch was a much bigger deal three years ago than it is today in, in the format, but... So I'm not sure if this is a $2 rare out three months or it's a $10 to $15 rare, but I will certainly be watching for it to pop up in lists. I, I'm not saying that this is going to do what John needs it to do. I just think the card's going to be good all over the place. I mean, if you think of the way Noble Hierarch is played, it's very frequently... Uh, I mean, sometimes it's in the decks, like I'm going to play a small deck of creatures that beat people up and blah 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 but like it does a lot of work and i think that this will probably be in the same space as like if you're playing a deck that plays green and one other color you might want to consider noble hierarch like you're in that space um i didn't even get a chance to look at all these new cards that were spoiled today i've been so busy so one of the other cards that's new to modern but not new is query and ranger a typical four of in Legacy Elves, uh-huh. which puts Modern Elves back on the menu in a build that's more reminiscent of the Legacy build. Uh, yeah. That's a pretty big deal. And the FNM, I think it's FNM foils were a huge target right away. People running all over the place trying to scoop them up. Query and Ranger FNM foils have been $150 for a while. And I had one listed because I had sold one at like 120 or 130 like, I don't know, a couple months ago and relisted my next one at 190 knowing that I wasn't the lowest price. And then I looked over and saw the Quarian Ranger spoiler on my right monitor and just looked over to my left monitor that had my TCG inventory and changed the price from 200 to 300 Like, we're bumping that up $100 because people will want this. And lo and behold, I think it took two hours and somebody bought it. Uh, crazy. You And like I'm like, okay, I will go pay $200 for more copies of this. I can find it. I could not find one uh the only i found two in europe that i let the pro traders take uh, but yeah i yeah i couldn't even find an overpriced copy yeah so that's a, a relatively big deal uncommon uh top of the list for possibly most broken card in the set so far gaia's will yeah uh, a throwback to yog will uh one of the more broken sorceries of all time this is a green suspend card but that you can cast for free off as for told etc etc until end of turn you may play lands and cast spells from your graveyard if a card would be put into your graveyard from anywhere this turn exile that card instead so this is shades of yog will shades of underworld breach it only lets you fool around with lands uh sorry no 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 that's not true play lands and cast uh, i thought you know what i thought at first blush this was lands and creatures how is green allowed to just cast whatever spells they want out of the yard yeah this is uh literally yogmoth's will just green suspend instead but it is the the rules text otherwise it's the same this is a busted ass looking card i mean it's yogmoth's will uh yogmoth's will is the perfect card for people who don't know a lot about magic toolkit and go i don't get it and, and, and if I had to guess which which card out of suspend leaks had people running after as for tools a couple months ago, it's this one. 
<laughs> of of all, it's not the profane tutor. It's the guy as well. Well, well, yeah. Uh, well, uh, probably. It's definitely a a silly, silly card. Suspend four is a lot. Um, it is a lot, but. But you're not looking to play this fairly. Like everybody that's playing this is going to be in EDH. You'll play it fair, fairly, and I think that's what's going to make it a multi-format staple. Is that again the the A in EDH you can still have a bunch of different ways to cheat it. But even if you're just you are in fact suspending it on turn one, it's going to be good because by the time you get to turn four, some stuff's happened, and you you want to play some fetch lands out of your yard. You want to get some stuff that they've killed with the. Uh, with point removal, et cetera, et cetera. And then in modern, you're just going to cheat this. Like, you're just going to cast Electrodominance or As Foretold or whatever. Yeah, in EDH, you probably want to play this like in the mid-ish, mid-late game because then you know if you're on like turn eight or nine, you play this after everyone's kind of burned through some stuff and that sets you up getting into the late game. They have a big explosive turn with some real... Uh, some real ammo in the chamber but yeah i would agree in in i could see some decks playing this fairly in modern like just trying to spend it on turn one every turn and then setting up to go bananas on turn four uh but also i think you're right like any of those spells that cast stuff for free so electrodominances and things of that nature i don't actually don't think it's as foretold i think it's like you said those spells let you cast stuff for free and i'd have to double back to see what all the options are. Cause there's a bunch now that weren't there before. I frankly don't remember them all, which is uh, a shame on me because I'm the type, I am that player. I should know all these and I don't, but I think that's probably where those are going to go. And off the top of my head, that would be the target to work with guy as well. Can you cast suspend cards off bring to light? Um, it's a good question. Let me, I have to check the rules text which is probably probably a little long. Uh, yes. Cast a card with convert with converted mana less than or equal. And I believe that counts because that's basically how Cascade works. You can cast a card. So you reveal that costs less. Yeah, so cards with no mana. Well, I don't... Mm, I don't know. Probably. I'm going to go with probably. I used to be able to name all this stuff right off the top of my head, but it's been so long since I've like played in an, en- with an enough enough to be able to confidently <laughs> speak to these. Yeah, I'm feel I'm finding like deck lists that had Bring to Light and Ancestral Visions and Hypergenesis and Wheel of Fate and a bunch of nonsense. So I, I think you can. Yeah, I, I would imagine so. But I mean, regardless, whether or not BTL does it, enough cards do it. The, the guys will look super nasty. It's a, it's a rare foil extended arts, whatever they get down to, and I would I would probably benchmark them against Underworld Breach. Uh, and also be aware that this could be a card that gets banned. Like there was a window where you could make a lot of money on Hogak, but you needed to get in and out in a hurry because it was <laughs> that busted. And Gaia's Will is probably at the top of the heap. Now, one of the other cards that's really going to enable some creature-based combos is Imperial Recruiter, which I think we just got in Double Masters, if I'm not mistaken, is being reprinted again this year, uh, but into Modern this time. 
and there is cool foil borderless art uh, or borderless art, which also comes in foil, uh, available in the CBs where it shows the recruiter with Kiki Jiki in the shadows behind him on the left and a pestermite over his shoulder on the right. <laughs> Uh, so yeah, now you can go search up creature cards with power two or less in modern and put them in your hand. And I'm sure somebody's going to make that work. Yeah, it's, um, I mean, Imperial Recruiter was a big deal in, it wasn't Double Masters, in Legacy because you had Alluren. But he was a lot more fair without that sure so i'm I'm actually like i i know they put kiki jiki and pestermite in the background and he will he will work for that because he'll find the other half right he'll probably run one kiki jiki maybe two and he'll go find it i don't know i'm i actually don't know if this is as wild as it seems like it might be because without alluren that was really what set this card off because you could play Imperial Recruiter for free, then tutor for a combo piece that you could then instantly play for free. So it had a lot of a lot of power to it. Well, well folks were pretty much immediately honing in on the fact that the Sahili Rai combo decks with Felidar Guardian get to use this to pull up the cat. Yeah, which is fine. You know, then you play it as a two of, right? It's like a, the fifth and sixth copy of uh, Felidar Guardian. So fine but like not staggering it's just a little bit of consistency you know what card that showed up that is actually i mean we we, we've actually missed some of the more uh, obvious ones from today that really warrant conversation uh i guess the first one is these artifact lands yeah uh which so artifact allied duels they come into play tapped but they're indestructible interesting i'm curious whether amulet titan will end up running any of these i don't know why they'd want them they don't well they don't... They, they'd be coming to play on taps duels that are indestructible i don't think that that they care that doesn't seem meaningful uh the indestructible component doesn't matter as far as they're concerned uh i mean these were not legal in modern because of strategies you know affinity which would like sacrifice them and use them essentially for food for their creatures uh and these coming into play tapped is kind of part of the the way to slow that down i i don't know if these are good enough i nope. think these are from a different era well the, these are brand new lands they've never but, existed before i mean but the, the the importance of artifact lands sure. feels like it might be from a different era. I think artifact decks in EDH are going to run these from here to eternity. Uh, yeah, I mean, they are free artifacts, which is relevant. Uh, I have not played an artifact-based deck in a while. The need to have extra artifacts in play in EDH is questionable because I feel like you could just like play stuff that makes a lot of tokens. Well, it's so really nice. It's really nice. It's really nice because you know you were talking about the infestation card or whatever earlier that can blow up a bunch of artifacts and enchantments. And one of the things about making your lands artifacts in the EDH is that if they're not indestructible, they're going to catch incidental artifact enchantment board wipes and so forth. But them being indestructible means there's really no downside other than them coming into play tapped. And people play plenty of come into play tap lands in EDH. They don't have basic land type so you can't search them up or anything so they're definitely like mediocre to medium in the format compared to all of your other options 
But I suspect the artifact decks will still find room for them. I think I would run the three that are relevant in Brea. Uh, yeah. I'd, I'd find room. I can see. I can definitely see some people playing these. I'm not saying they won't see any play. I don't see them being significant. Um, like they're not, you know, they're not game changers in any way, shape, or form. I think that they're just kind of also rands. In modern is the question here for me, and maybe like pioneer or you know whatever the other format there is. And I, I, I am I'm on the fence. I I kind of have a gut feeling that they're not that big of a deal in the format, but again i i could very much be wrong on this and i'm going to be looking to the to the competitive players and getting their sense of of how important these are the other thing is that they tie into the modular theme that's going on here which is seems mostly limited focused but might revive that version of affinity um in modern if they give us enough pieces here and they've already revealed some pretty cool stuff they showed us zabaz the glimmer wasp which is a one mana uh one one and with modular one and if a modular triggered ability would put one or more plus one plus one counters on a creature you control you put an extra counter on it so if you've got a hardened scales out and this thing then and one of your modular creatures dies then you could be putting three creature counters onto an arcbound ravager and that Ravager can sack, can eat artifact lands to get plus one, plus one canters on it. And then Zabaz is going to give it a plus two, plus two. So that's all at least worth clocking as, you know, are, is this going to get there or is it just going to be, you know, for funsies? But they gave us other pieces. There's Arcband Shikari that was revealed, one red white as a 2 2 first strike modular with modular two. And when it enters the battlefield, you put a plus one, plus one cannon on each other artifact creature you control. This also explains why people were going after Ink Moth Nexus recently, right? It's, it certainly uh, makes sense there, because you can then dump all your... You would sacrifice your lands to move them onto Arcbound or what have you, and then move them over to the Ink Moth Nexus. Um, and, the, and the deal with the Ink Moth Nexus is that it can hold the canters in between turns when it goes back to being a land, right? Right. Yep, it does. Uh, and, you know, that's that's one of the more obvious places to put the artifact lands. And, like, if the mirrored in artifact lands had been legal, that deck would have been super insane because you'd have that option available to you. But, you know, at the same time, they still played mostly artifact lands. Like, they had, um, I shouldn't say mostly, but they had options with... Uh, the dark steel citadel or whatever yeah. it was with an mm-hmm. artifact land. And they played Glimmer Void. You know, I I gotta tell you, I think the place that these are gonna matter is not any sort of they might play them in the modular decks, like maybe they'll play their set, but it feels like if they're gonna do anything, it's turning on some slightly bigger artifact builds with Teferis and what have you. Well, you can also put in soul artifacts on these indestructible artifacts. And Which turn them is, into yeah. five five indestructibles on yeah, turn that, two. That's true. That is true. I, I gotta tell you, I, I don't exactly know what I think about these. I, I'm I'm gonna stop trying to to have an opinion and I'm just gonna wait for the players who know better than I do to We need more information. Me. We need we need to see lists, we need to see more cards from this set. Also worth flagging that Zabaz has our two other abilities. Red destroy target artifact you control, which lets you if you don't have a sack effect uh handy, you can set off your modular chaining. And then 
for a white, it, it gets flying. So let's if you get up, put all the to- all the counters onto a Zabaz, it can start swinging in for four or five. And then they kill the Zabaz, you activate the Ink Moth Nexus, dump the counters onto the Nexus, and start swinging with that instead. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So th- there's something there. Like th- th- it seems like they want it to be a thing, and the question is, did they just want it to be a thing and limited, or did they did they actually want to push affinity back into the spotlight? I mean, the pieces are there. There's no question. The question is whether they're good. Mm-hmm. the The other card here that I think is actually quite remarkable uh, and might kind of be under the radar for a lot of players, not everyone, is Zurin Orb. Really? Yeah. Did you miss that? No, I saw that it was there. I just didn't. I, I was about to say there, there's also some cards that don't matter, like Zurin Orb. Oh, Zurin Orb, buddy, is uh, that is a very relevant card. Whether it will, I should let me rephrase that. This has potential to be a very potent strategy. Whether it will okay. be enough is another story. But I mean, there were untold infinite life triggers combos with this. Um, it allows you to do all all sorts of silly stuff that you wouldn't necessarily expect. I mean, like, um, I mean, it's a zero mana zero mana artifact that sacks when you sack a land, you gain two life. What's the infinite combo in modern? I I honestly I don't remember. <laughs> like, I haven't looked like because I I saw that it got spoiled, but I didn't go do like look up all the old stuff for, it, and it's been so long. But I know that that is a deceptively powerful card. Like that was in from the vault relics. Because it was banned in yeah, standard at one from point. a very different era. Oh, I don't disagree. Isn't, don't... isn't that wasn't that like Zurinorb with Necropotence or some nonsense? Uh, it where, might where been. every where you're drawing drawing a land once out of every three cards, and so you're getting two life back. So your Necro is only costing you one life for three cards. I, I honestly don't remember. Uh, I just know that Zurinorb is is an interesting card, uh, a zero mana artifact with with a. A meaningful piece of text so i'm not saying this is going to revolutionize modern but this could be like a sleeper hit this set has tons of flavor all sorts of inside jokes all sorts of cutesy cards all sorts of clever things going on you got this card chef's kiss they revealed as a red rare for one and two red instant gain control of target spell that targets only a single permanent or player copy it then reselect the targets at random for the spell and the copy the new targets can't be you or permanent you control. So they try to kill your thing. You take control of it, fork it, and then randomly decide what it hits elsewhere on the table. Yeah, this is whatever. Cute. Uh, it's actually, it's it's decent in EDH, honestly. Uh, they showed us Karth the Lion. Karth and Garth. Again, I can't can't believe it. And such a bad name for such a cool card. Two black green for a 3-5, legendary creature, human warrior. Whenever Karth the lion enters the battlefield or a planeswalker you control dies, look at the top seven cards of your library. You may reveal a planeswalker from among them and put it into your hand. Put the rest in the bottom of your library in random order. So auto slots into a track, so one of the top five commander decks of all time. There's, there's no way I'm not making a slot for this because any basically once he's in play, they either have to kill him or every time they kill one of my planeswalkers, they're replacing themselves. With the best planeswalker I can find in the top seven? Come on now. And then he's got a secondary, second piece of text that's also super relevant and is going to lead to busted things. Planeswalker loyalty abilities you activate cost an additional plus one loyalty to activate. So basically, if it, your loyalty was minus one, now it's zero. If it was zero, 
their loyalty goes up one instead, and so on and so forth. So good, so unique, so useful. <laughs> this isn't a modern card per se, but it's absolutely an EDH card. Yeah, he'll uh, he'll have some some ground there. Um, and they're not going to and they're not going to fool around with this very often. You're not going to start seeing a whole pile of cards that give discounts on loyalty abilities. It's too it's a very slippery slope. Uh, because there's already a whole bunch of planeswalkers that can alt more or less immediately once this is going on. Like I I want a, a game with the pro traders with Teferi uh, Master of Time. 2 weeks ago I think it was. And keep in mind, Teferi Master of Time, can, his loyalty abilities can be used on anybody's turn. So in EDH, you drop him on turn three or four. Then you immediately draw a card, discard a card. On the next person's turn, you draw a card, discard a card. If the next person on the line tries to kill him, you phase out their creature. Then go on to the next guy, draw a card, discard a card. But now he's getting two loyalty every time you do that. And then his minus 10 after you've taken one turn around the tables is going to be take two extra turns. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, there like, are going to be a couple. Silly. There are a couple people with whom Karth is very potent. Uh, it fuels more like a EDH card than a modern card for oh, sure. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. And there's t- tons of plants like that in here. There's this crazy dragon, Scion of Draco, twelve mana, domain. This spell spell costs two less to cast for each basic land type among lands you control. So you're playing five color dragons when they release Tiamat in the D and D set. You're playing six-color dragons because you're playing wastes. Playing a waste, too. So this is going to cost zero in that case once you get all six of those lands out. It's a flying 4-4, and each creature you control gains vigilance if it's white, hexproof if it's blue, lifelink if it's black, first strike if it's red, and trample if it's green. So it's going to go into every five-color dragon build ever, forever. And it's a mythic. And it's going to have foil borderless alt art. Which is pretty good. Yeah, I mean this. This is just relatively narrow, but it's going to go in. And the, the thing is that it doesn't just go in the dragon decks because it's not dragon typed in any way that's relevant, either in its cost reduction strategy or what it gives to your creatures. It just goes into five color creatures, so you're probably playing it in slivers because then all your slivers <laughs> get random doses of vigilance, hexproof, lifelink, first strike, and trample. Yeah, where where I find this interesting is, uh, I mean, I, it'll it'll be popular in modern, right? Like, m- lots of dragon decks will play it. Like, if modern you're three, or EDH, in well, in EDH, it will be reasonably popular. You know, most dragon decks will play, it, even if they're three colors. He'll cost six. Eh, three color, well, three color dragon decks probably not. Five color dragon decks will, but in modern. You can play uh, Prismatic Omen, which gives all of your lands every land type. So this immediately becomes a free 4-4 that boosts your other creatures. And I'd have to do some digging, but I bet I know there's a couple cards. I think there's a couple cards out there that give your creatures all colors. Sure. So, like the fact that you can turn to prismatic omen and then dump several dump all of your scion of dracos that are in your hand which might be probably one but like that's got shades of hollow one so it's interesting that that's a 
that that exists, right? Like that, that you can kind of pull one to that little punch because Prismatic Omen does a lot of other work as well. So the fact that it just gives you free four fours now is not insignificant. There's also this card out of time, one double white enchantment with vanishing. When out of time enters the battlefield, untap all creatures, then phase them out until out of time leaves the battlefield. Put a time counter on it for each creature phased out this way. So the way Vanishing works is out of time sits there. Say you phased out five creatures. You have five turns before they all come back. So it's kind of like that old white spell. Uh, what was the two and two white from way back in the day? Not Enduring Renewal. Um, oh, jeez. Don't know what you're referring to. It was the one that faded, had fade counters. Oh, oh boy. Not a lot of cards had fade counters. It's a white enchantment that does basically the same thing. Uh, I can picture it in my head, but I don't remember what the name of it is. The bottom line is this is a really cheap and effective wrath in EDH. It might actually be the second best wrath now after uh, Supreme Verdict because. If you're playing against three people and they've got a total of 15 creatures, this keeps them out of play for 15 turns. Uh, yeah, that is funny that it's uh, like this kind of like very cost efficient wrath, but that has the possibility of causing a huge problem like way later in the game. Like if you don't manage to turn the corner, you know, shut the game down, like but within the next nine turns, it's like, whoops, all of this comes back. <laughs> which is kind of funny maybe it's not the second best because they can kill it it's an enchantment so you know all those green and white cards that kill a bunch of artifacts and enchantments at the same time they can pick and choose when they snap this off and put everything back in play oh, but yeah. but but for them to get back their stuff want to get back their stuff they have to be willing to flood the board with the other people's stuff so there is a, there is a bit of a rattlesnake effect there where okay i i could get back these four cards but unless they're the combo that's going to win me the game with what I've currently got on the board, that's not necessarily appealing. Yeah, it's it's nifty. It's a nifty card. I don't think it's too much more than that. I think some people will play it because it's an amusing sweeper, uh, but not necessarily. I, I definitely don't look at it as a spec because there's just so many options. Like they make a new Wrath every set or every other set. So cool card, not necessarily spec card. Suspend is interesting, uh, and good on them for like bringing back suspend the mechanic and then naming a card suspend. Like way to make it super easy on everybody. Uh, one blue for this thing. It's an instant exile target creature and put two time counters on it. If it doesn't have suspend, it gains suspend. So with Teferi, little Teferi, three mana Teferi, where they can only play things at sorcery speed. Mm. Does this have? Yes, that does work. Yes, because uh, the stuff with suspend is played during your upkeep, so so that so, so that screws that creature out of the game for one blue at yeah. instant speed. Yeah, that's an instant speed path to exile if you're playing Teferi. It is, and it's you have to still have the Teferi and play two turns later. But yes, that will be pretty obnoxious. And if you're, I mean, if you're playing that deck, you're probably coming with tools to to make sure that happens. <laughs> they put Mishra's Factory into modern i don't know if that's if that's going to end up being relevant but it certainly makes you want to look at the old versions this seems much more relevant than uh the artifact lands to me mutavault did a lot of work in modern and 
the the creature type component of it has been regularly relevant uh but mitra's factory is more uh versatile and it's it's cheaper um essentially so i think that it's not a card that's gonna like necessarily blow up a the format or anything but i do think that you could just suddenly see lots of decks just playing two three four of them in uh just kind of quietly showing up and suddenly like 20 percent of the decks in the format are playing a place out of mistress factory i mean is it any better than mutable yes okay the the place i would be looking for at most is these modular decks if they come back right because it's a 2-2 base plus the counters yeah uh well there's no counters on this on its own no no but when you but it's an artifact creature so you can put the modular counters on it once it's a creature and it keeps them same as inkboth nexus correct correct and 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 it's on a 2-2 base not a 1-1 flyer yeah well it's not in fact so that's relevant that's why ink model nexus is popular because you can kill with 10 and not 20 sure um the the the, it's not strictly better than mutavault mutavault's the creature type thing is in places where mutavault is good that's a necessary component of the card but what this does is other mutavaults pump each other so you play if you you turn or i'm sorry you turn attack with one mistress factory and then you leave the other ones untapped and if they block you can now pump it with your other ones, which Mutavault cannot do, uh, which makes it a pain in the ass to block this if your opponent has a couple of Mishra's Factories in play. It's it's a good card. Uh, is Again, this is kind of like Zorin Orb. Is it from another era where it's not going to matter? Or is this going to be a big deal? I don't have those answers right now, but it's a card I'd be keeping an eye on. Also, for what it's worth, those uh, with alternate season ones are probably just... I mean, they've been so expensive for a while, but at this point, they're probably nearly untouchable. Yeah. In terms of price. Here's a card that's definitely going into your Chatterfang deck. Sylvan Anthem. Double green for an enchantment. Green creatures you control get plus one, plus one. So it's already uh, a cheaper, uh, basically a green crusade. And then whenever a green creature enters the battlefield under your control, scry one. That's not non-token. That's tokens too. Yeah, that'll be pretty popular. Hard to argue with uh, a cheaper guy's anthem that also gives you scry triggers. Like a lot of scry triggers. Like you basically just get to funnel, like flip through your deck. Yeah, scry, it's like scry and EDH is like, I don't know. I've been a little lukewarm on it because like you'll find a card you want on top of your library and then just leave it there and every other scry trigger is wasted. But if you really need something specific, it sure helps. Well, you clearly want to be drawing some cards so that you can be clearing cards off the top and keep rolling, right? Yeah. I mean, Scry just lets you fix the top. But if you've already got what you need on top, then all the additional Scry triggers don't matter. Okay. Um, but then problem solved, right? Well, right. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. yeah I'm just saying it's not like it's... So offcast, we were talking about Abundant Harvest, uh, about how I wasn't 100% sure it was going to be a common in Modern Horizons 2 versus the rare that it was as a Mystical Archive card. And this is especially interesting because it's been showing up pretty heavily in Legacy lists, and but it hasn't really made the jump to Modern. But they put it in this Modern-focused set, and it's not really an EDH card, so they clearly thought that this could matter in Modern, and I suspect that this particular configuration of text 
choose land or non-land, reveal cards from the top of your library, and put one that matches the chosen kind into your hand, um, they think it might have a shot, seems like. And if that's true, then Oko's pick from a couple weeks ago uh, of the Foil Mystical Archive Global Art, because the as opposed to the Japanese alt art, because that art is not particularly good. And neither is the version in, in MH2. This, uh, this art's also ugly. So I have zero doubt that the preferred version for a legacy player is the foil uh, mystic, or at, or maybe just the etched mystical archive, since it doesn't have any foil curling problems, depending on whether their deck is foiled or not. Yeah, get bent. Uh, Whatever your name is. Iris, Iris Comp yet. I, yeah. <laughs> I don't like your art. What do you think uh, about that? Yeah, I, yes, the mystical, I'm not surprised at all to see this a common. Uh, I, I don't know what else it reasonably could have been. Um, could have been it could have been an uncommon or something but the, the yeah, point I mean, the point the point is fancy versions if they're a big deal in modern at some point are not going to stay five dollars agreed I, I i agree so they also showed us the most ridiculous card name of all time okay you, this is gonna be the last one by the way last you want you want is... you want to take a stab at this uh hold on let me scroll to it because i cannot find these stupid things on this page okay let me, let me click on it Asmoriano Mordic had kill the car. Sure. Legendary creature human wizard 3-3 has no casting cost. As long as you discarded a card this turn, you can play you can pay black or red to cast this spell. When it enters the battlefield, you search your library for a card named the Underworld Cookbook. Reveal it, put it in your hand, then shuffle. Sacrifice two foods, target creature deals six damage to itself. At some point, we're going to have critical mass for food stuff down the road, and there'll be some cute food decks running around in EDH. Is this good enough as just some kind of... madness-based thing in modern? A 3-3 that can generate some foods. The Underworld Cookbook is one mana for an artifact. Tap, discard a card, create a food token. Four, sacrifice the Underworld Cookbook, return target creature from your graveyard to your hand. So clearly you want to be doing madnessy things here. To me, it seems a little too cute. I mean, a 3-3 three, three that costs one, it draws you a card, it has additional text on it that could matter. Not terrible. I mean, you know, madness probably isn't at the forefront of modern, and I don't think this particularly changes that. But this is not a bad card at all because uh does this work with grief grief exile is a card from your hand right because it's exile uh exile black card from your hand so that doesn't count but there's other stuff you could do i don't know off the top of my head i'm sure other people are hard at work at it i don't think this card's terrible but i don't know if food has enough support to matter in modern yet and i don't think this really matters in edh unless you're trying to be cute priest of fell rights is one of the better uh, reanimation. Hey, hey, what did I say? <laughs> I, said, I said you got one more card. There's so many to talk about here, and it is late. And I okay, really I'm, need okay. Give me, give me one more. Give me one more. Okay, priest fell rights. No, 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 not priest. I'll save that for later. Okay. Sword of Hearth and Home oh, is the yeah. only. They're continuing the sword cycle. They're only giving us one. It's this one. Three mana. Equipped creature gets plus two plus two and has protection from green and white. Whenever equipped creature deals combat damage to a player, you exile up to one target creature you own, then search your library for a basic land card, and you put both cards into play. So you're going to you're ramping and you're flickering 
And that's what the sword does. Yep. Uh, cards real good when you compare it to Sword of the Animist, which costs one less mana total, but only gives you the land and doesn't give you the flicker effect. And it makes that land come in the play tapped, and this one doesn't. Uh, and that flicker effect can obviously be worth a ton of value depending on what you're flickering with it. So this could end up being like. This could be the best card, in e the best sword in EDH. Oh, best yeah. sword in EDH. That's it big is, talk. Those are two very relevant pieces of text in virtually all decks. Like, how many EDH decks don't play creatures they want to flicker? Not all decks have access to it, but most most decks play creatures with good come in the play effects. And no one's ever going to be cranky about fetching lands, especially if you're not in green. See, I think these swords... We're going to get all of them eventually. They're all going to see some play. They're going to see a little smattering of play in modern. They're going to see some EDH play. The fanciest versions of them will be the targets because I think you never play four of these in any format. And so judge foils, old border judge foils of sword and fire, nice and feast and famine have been climbing. Um, I think the sword of hearth and home foil borderless version has gorgeous art. It's going to look amazing in foil. Those are going to do well. Uh, you're going to want to pick some of those up in Europe at their low because Europe won't give a shit about them. And that's that. Uh, hey, without looking it up, I think Sword of Feast and Famine is the most popular card in ED, most popular sword in EDH. Um, but, and you know, the, the thing is, is the green trigger on that is obviously why people would play it. The black one isn't too big of a deal. This isn't as... You know, the fetching for land isn't as powerful as untapping all your lands, but this is still a good card. And it's I don't good. know what other sword... There's no other sword that's really going to compete with this in that format. Mm-hmm. Uh, last point I'm going to make, the sketch cards are not doing anything for me. I'm Ooh. betting you feel the same. Yeah, yeah, we chatted about this briefly earlier, but it's... The sketch frame looks... I, I had a very good analogy for this yesterday. I think I... I don't remember what it was. But they're here, ugly. They here's suck. What, here, here's what they should have done with these. First of all, you have to be only doing it with the artists where sketching is part of their process. There are some of these sketches I've looked at already where I'm like, I don't believe for a hot second that this sketch ever existed outside of the demands of the art the art director that imposed this requirement on that artist. Because mm -hmm. not all artists start with a pencil sketch. So it really feels forced in a lot of cases. And the result is that it's not a very interesting sketch. If you look at, if you are working with artists who have really strong line work, um, you know, like if you got a Mike Mignola lined up or whatever, his sketch card is going to be amazing because the foundation of his art is the line work for a lot of these other artists. Like they may be more about the layering of effects in illustrator. They be maybe more about their palette. They may be more about the, the tone of their work sketch doesn't make sense for every artist the other thing is the sketch frames themselves are freaking ugly oh they're so bad the the idea that that's what a that, that because it's a sketch card you have to have a sketch frame doesn't make any sense because there's no process that that leads to that like it's not like someone designing a frame would sketch like the frame like this first like they worked backwards from a frame here. There's no such thing as building up to a frame from this. So none of that, there's no internal logic there that makes any sense. What I would have done with this is let them be full art. 
just sketch with no text at all. Because then it's just, it's, it would be cool. If you just had cast and cost top right and the sketch and you let it be the whole card, that would be unique. And, and, and if you then partnered with artists with strong line work, those would be cool pieces of art that you're tabling. Yeah, but, it's essentially an art card that's yeah, playable. Yeah, but as, it, as, the, as like this, nah, 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 nah. I, I don't intend to buy any of these or spec on any of these. Yeah, these are real bad. And I think that, you know, the invocations were dramatic and distinct and had their own share of complications. But, like, they're kind of appealing in sort of an ugly, weird way where these are just flat out awful like these are just like these aren't the bad movie that's funny to watch and laugh at these are the bad movie that just sucks these are the jiggly of magic card frames like, when, no. and picture picture the feel bads if the best thing you pull out of a 450 dollar uh collector booster of modern horizons 2 is some like mythic foil sketch card you don't give a shit about yeah that would be a bummer um all right, so your for your quick impression, given that we've seen I don't know a third or a half of the set or whatever, you, are you liking Modern Horizons two so far? You think I mean, it well? does a lot of cool things. I think it seems more potent than Modern Horizons did in competitive Magic, and still has a lot of stuff for Commander players. So I don't know. Maybe it maybe the first Modern Horizons was a little stronger on like the Vorthos notes, the the essentially callback for enfranchised players and the the things they recognize, like bringing back Urza and Yogmoth was was very cool. But and, and Sarah, yeah, right. But other than that, well, it's probably a just a better set. It feels like. There's a lot going on here. I see, I see this as being as impactful as Commander Legends, but with modern the cards being modern playable, and that matters. Some of them. <laughs> well, the the potential for them to be played in modern just automatically is a rank up against uh, against Commander Legends because car- cards that can be played in both formats are better specs. Yep. All right. So we'll call that uh, a night for now and uh, check back in on all this craziness next week where I'm sure we'll have a pile more stuff to talk about. Um, I, sh- I should point out that I think we've got it. There, there are a couple of stats we need to nail down, but I'm pretty sure that foil fetch lands are something like one every 130 packs or so in the CBs. So for, for a specific one, um, five and 130 for, you know, to, to get one of each. So they're not as rare as Mythic, Foil Extended Art, Jeweled Lotus. They're probably about two to three times less rare, but their demand's probably triple. So I'm very curious to see where these end up getting pre-order priced and where they end up. Hmm. Yeah, we'll see if your prediction comes true. I don't even really have a prediction. I think they are capable of holding price points in the $500 to $1,000 range long-term. A lot of this depends on how much of this they actually printed. But we'll see. We'll see very quickly here. Well, you told me they were going to be uh, $700. No, no, no. I, there, I, there was a debate going on on Twitter where people said it was impossible for that to be true. And I said it depended on where we landed on the stats. That mm. it wasn't impossible. And that it was, in fact, possible if certain conditions are met. I mean, the, the first condition is the print run. Second condition is the drop rate. 
that needs to be confirmed. And we still need to know, so far we're assuming that the premium versions of any given rare are all equivalent, whether it's old border, etched, or sketch. If that's not true, then we need those ratios. Because if they if they if those ratios are really low, like if the old border foils are twice as rare versus etched, um, then that really, really matters. If they are half as rare as etched, that really, really matters too. But so we need we need a little we need more information. We need to see some mass cracking data. But I suspect that out the gate they're gonna be priced at the major retailers in the you know, they'll probably go for the moon, high four hundreds or something. And I think Skelding Tarn can definitely hold 300 to 500. Would be my guess. In foil, old, old border foil. Okay. E- even, in the, even in the face of opening weekend. We're going to have to go. We're going to have to go to the tape mm-hmm. and see what you said. <laughs> Again, I'm, I'm freely admitting it depends on variables we don't have the answers to yet. But pe- people that are saying, oh, these are going to be $80 or whatever, or don't buy them, buy them in three months. <laughs> You're dreaming. These these aren't even Jeweled Lotus has a relatively narrow audience compared to a Fetchland. Vorinclex spiked to four hundred and is still holding somewhere around two. They like, and that's a nothing card compared to an old border fetch. True. Okay. So, where can people find you online? I am on Twitter at WizardBumpinBumpinU. You guys can find me on Twitter at MDG Critic, as well as via occasional articles on mtgprice.com and my constant haunting of the Pro Trader Discord. I also like to remind our listeners to check out the mtgprice.com Pro Trader service for just $9.99 a month or $109.99 per year. You can get early access to this podcast, fantastic articles by the best MTG finance minds in the business, and a super active Discord forum that will drive better returns and save you money playing Magic the Gathering. We had a pretty hot group by this morning on regular draft boxes of Modern Horizons 2 that was way below the rest of the market. Mm, exciting. Uh, once again, MTG Fast Finance is proudly sponsored by Cool Stuff Inc., where you can find all sorts of cool stuff in stock, including the best in Magic the Gathering single sealed product and a plethora of other collectibles. Use the promo code FINANCE5 during checkout at coolstuffinc.com to save 5% off your order and support this podcast. Which brings us to the end of episode 273, uh, and I will see you next week to talk more Modern Horizons. Thank you, Travis, and we'll see you all next week on another episode of MDG Fast Mind. Mm-hmm.